toughness is real big here in the World Wrestling Federation. And unfortunately, all I've got right now for you is a lot of sorrow, a lot of tears, and a lot of emotion. I don't have any toughness for anybody. Um, so I guess, you know, here you go. Here's your belt. And Bret Hart throws up the Undertaker. And no, he didn't, did he get it? No, he didn't. Somebody get Austin out of here. Undertaker knocks Austin down. And then the close line. Bret Hart did it. Bret Hart's a champion. Bret Hart's a champion. No, Austin's done it. Austin hit Bret Hart on the face left field tear. I don't think Sid even realized that Austin just gave him an assist. In a, in, oh no. Austin knows this. He just escaped. The shot shooter. And now he's delivering the to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara. I'm taking you back in the time machine today to February 1997 for Volume 2 of this month's podcast, looking at all things WWF. Four volumes for you this month. We've got our WCW Volume 1, which is looking at Super Brawl. ECW is our Volume 3 this month, which will be taking a look at CyberSlam. And USD 12 will be our focus of Volume 4. Joining me for all things WWF in February 1997... Two stalwarts of the podcast game. Two people who took the very first journey back in the time machine in August 1993. They are Mr. Bob Bamba. Bob, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to join you. And you have Mr. Craig Wilson here. Hi, Craig. Hello. Thanks for the build-up. Nice to be here. <laughs> very much a pleasure. Uh, plenty of news to be getting on with. So, Craig, back to in, please. On the Thursday, Raw Thursday special on 13th February... Shawn Michaels relinquished the WWF title In an in-ring interview he said that due to a knee injury He would not be able to wrestle as planned Excuse me, against Sid that night And indeed that his career could be over During an often emotional speech One of the most notable lines was when Shawn stated that he had lost his smile And that he would have to go away and find it The reaction of much of the live crowd during this was somewhat unsympathetic With loud chants of We want Sid early on And a lot of boos when Michaels physically handed the title to Gorilla Monsoon. Whilst there is little doubt that Michaels does have problems with his knees, there is much scepticism as to the timing of the decision, with some suggestion that he used them as an excuse to avoid doing high-profile jobs to Sid and Bret Hart. 
situation meant major changes have to be made as regards to the direction of the WWF title. The final four match in your house, originally a number one contender contest between Bret Hart, Undertaker, Steve Austin and Vader, became a match for the title itself. This was won by Bret, but he in turn dropped it to Sid the next night on Raw after interference by Austin. This, appear, this appears to have set up a double main event at WrestleMania next month of Sid defending the world title against Undertaker, with Bret facing Austin in what is currently being billed as a submission match. The In Your House Final Four pay-per-view itself took place on February 16th and was by and large a decent affair, meeting with middling reviews, with most praise being saved for the main event. The Final Four match was a wild 25 minutes of action, which featured a very gory blade job by Vader. The order of elimination, all going over the top rope, was Austin, Vader and finally The Undertaker. Elsewhere on the card, there were wins for Mark Miro, The Nation of Domination, Rocky Maivia and the team of Doug Furness and Phil LaFon. On the February the 3rd, Raw, Raw finally went to two hours for the first time. It emanated from the Toronto Sky Dome on a show which had actually been taped three days prior. The edition was largely viewed as a disappointment with poor lighting, a weak card and a very subdued crowd making it seem like a Maple Leaf Garden taping from 1984. Furthermore, the programme had been trailed as a Royal Rumble Raw, heavily implying the entire Rumble match from January was to be aired on it, which was the plan. However, due to pressure from viewers' choice, eventually only brief clips of action from the match were shown. All remaining editions of Raw in the month were also two hours and scheduled to go directly head-to-head with Nitro. However, at this stage, there has been no real sign of any major ratings breakthrough. The February 24th episode of Raw was held in the Manhattan Centre in New York and saw an invasion of sorts from ECW. This was in response to an invitation put out by Jerry King Lawler the previous week. All of the big ECW names were present and competed in their own matches with even the ECW in-house graphics being used. Paul Heyman did guest ring announcing and commentary and made regular insider jibes and jabs at the WWF and Lawler despite ECW largely being portrayed as the babyfaces. The real reason for their appearance was to generate publicity for the first pay-per-view, Barely Legal, set to take place in April. Aside from a brief Lawler and Heyman scuffle, there was no real interaction between the two companies. Most observers therefore seemed to think that the show did more for ECW than it did for the WWF. Also on this show, former UFC champion Ken Shamrock made his debut being portrayed as a celebrity attending the event. In reality, he has signed a three-year deal with the company, earning him a cool $1 million per annum. The deal is exclusive, meaning he can no longer work for the UFC or participate in any other shoot-fighting events. WWF managed to beat New Japan to his signing, and it was also heavily rumoured that WCW were interested as well. It appears as though he will make his debut as a referee in the Bret Austin match at WrestleMania, or at the time of recording that has not yet been confirmed. What is certain is that before too long he'll be a member of the active in-ring roster. And a reminder here that we are on Patreon for five bucks a month. You can donate for it as a thank you for us contributing to your podcasting month and also get early access to show like these. You can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs on our website and in the podcast description below. And the ratings for this month with Raw going two hours. And still defeats all the way, I'm afraid. February the 3rd, the big two-hour debut, but managed to pull a 2.6, but Nitro came in with a 3. February the 10th, uh, Nitro did an unopposed 3.8. Sadly, I don't have the ratings for the Westminster Dog Show. The Thursday Raw Thursday special did a 2.7. When they went back head-to-head again on the 17th, Raw did a 2.45 against the 2.9 for Nitro. 
And on the 24th, it was a 2.5 against a 3.0. Well, it seems uh, like we've done this before. And uh, this time, unfortunately for me, it's uh, much more serious than it was last time. Uh, I've never had um, a doctor look me in the face and say... Uh, that I may never be able to wrestle again, and I was uh, I was told that the other day. Of course, you know I, it's not something that I believe, um, but the fact is, it's something that I have to deal with. Time has has taken its toll on on my body, and. I know you're just as disappointed, more so than anyone else, that you are not defending the WF Championship against Psycho Sid, or for that matter, whomever would have been stacked up against you. And no one has taken on more challengers. No one in the history who's ever won this championship belt has ever had the schedule, has ever had to endure the kind of schedule that you have so readily taken upon yourself. Well, there's uh, one thing about me is that I can't do anything halfway. And I, you know, I come here and I hear the people and they chant uh, Sid's name or they chant Brett's name and they chant a lot of people's names. And one thing is for sure, you're going to have all of that in the future. Um, and that's what I want for the World Wrestling Federation fans. In spite of um, what people may think about me, what I've always wanted for all these people is, is for them to have a good time and to enjoy themselves. I've always tried to be the one to provide it, whether it was on the good side or the bad side. Um, but was all, what was always most important to me was the performance. Was the performance so that these people, each time they reached in their pocket and they paid to get a WWF ticket, they didn't regret it because they knew that if they saw my name on the card, they could yell, they could come, and they could cheer, and they could boo, and they could do whatever what they wanted as long as they had a good time. Over the last couple months, uh, there's been a lot of talk of people uh, having bad attitudes and a lot revolving around this belt. Uh, all I know today is that. One thing that's not going to revolve around this belt for a long time is, is going to be Shawn Michaels. We start Raw on February the 3rd with the first of what apparently is just a month long session of two hour shows. Uh, hour one, we see Vince welcoming us to the 25,000 strong Toronto Skydome, Skydome for Royal Rumble Raw, which originally was planned to be a full showing of the actual Rumble, and then they decided that they weren't going to do it because the pay per view providers weren't happy. So instead, we just got a lot of clips, and that was dispersed into what was otherwise basically just a house show. Vader versus Steve Austin is our first match. Before it can begin, Bret Hart jumps Austin from behind. All three men then scrap with each other until Bret is led away. The contest eventually gets underway, and once more these two have a good brawl. Austin gives the referee a Stone Cold Stunner, and the two fight down the aisle until the bell rings, as Vader wins by DQ. 
Flash Fong gets t- takes on the newest member of the nation, Savio Vega, who cuts the bog standard heel promo in the hallway. Flash misses the moonsault and Savio covers for the win. JR is in the ring interviewing Sid, who gets a very mixed reaction. He says he has friendship with Sean that is on the edge of madness. Sometimes in life we confuse evil for happiness. At Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble, evil, evil appeared. At Thursday, Raw Thursday, he will once again be the man. Vince talks to Owen and Bulldog. Owen tells us he accidentally eliminated Bulldog from the Rumble last month. The two argue with each other about that until they head out for their tag title match against Furnace and Lafon. Lafon then pins Owen for the three, but his foot was on the rope. Bulldog accidentally backdrops Owen over the top rope and they lose by countout. Owen claims a knee injury and they shout at each other on the way to the back. Ahmed tells us that he isn't taking Prozac any longer, so now anything could happen. His partner for later, Undertaker, gives him a tense stare down, but they say they will bury Farouk and Mankind together. Crush is up against Goldust, Savio hits a spin kick behind the rest back, and Crush wins with the heart punch. Vince is in the ring to interview Shawn Michaels, who gets a lot of booze. Shawn tells us nowadays the belt doesn't represent all that is good with the WWF. The title has brought out the worst in many superstars, including himself. Sean says the fans have the right to cheer Brett over him if they show wish, and he doesn't care about being popular. Brett comes out wearing a face of thunder. He unfairly compares Sean to Dennis Rodman. Sean is very hard to like and is indeed a degenerate. As far as I'm concerned, you're nothing but a punk. Austin dives into the ring and attacks Brett while Sean is looking on with amusement, and still Sid comes out to stare him down. After the break, Sean tries to pick up the belt off the mat, but Brett stands at it, picks it up, and then just drops it at Sean's feet. We get footage of the newcomer, Tiger Ali Singh, signing his contract from earlier today. He endorses Brett Hart, which in this arena is probably wise. Hunter Hearst Helmsley is defending the IC title against Mark Merrow again. The crowd are virtually silent for this one. Even Merrow's aerial moves are met with apathy. Whilst the referee is distracted by a removed turnbuckle pad, Helsley hits Mero with the brass knuckles and gets the three. In the main event, it's a no-holds-barred tag team match between Undertaker and Armour Johnson against Farouk and Mankind. Amusingly, Mankind does indeed come out to the nation's music. Undertaker gets his own entrance, of course. Everyone just directionally trades big moves and finishes for a while. Vader interferes and splashes Undertaker, but he accidentally clocks Mankind with a chair. Undertaker no-shells another tear shot, disposes of Vader, and then tombstones Mankind onto the chair to secure the win. Raw is preempted on the 10th, so we open up Thursday, Raw Thursday, with Vince telling us the WF title will be declared vacant as Shawn Michaels will relinquish the belt tonight. Our first match sees Rocky Maivia going for the IC title against Hunter Hearst Helmsley. A very noticeable Rocky Sucks chant starts up in the early stages. This match gets a good amount of time with Helmsley setting up a groggy, groggy Maivia for the pedigree, but Rocky reverses an inside cradle to win the Intercontinental title. The Headbangers, formerly the Sisters of Love on the uh, Shotgun Saturday night, debuted against Bob Holly and Aldo Montoya. They win with a sloppy powerbomb leg drop combo. Vince introduces Sean to surrender the World Wrestling Federation Championship. An ashen face, Sean walks the ring with a very slight limp. Vince tells us that Sean is having to have a knee operation, so he must give up the belt. Sean says that it's much more serious than last time and he may never wrestle again. The crowd sensing the uh, 
sensing the mood in the room, start chanting for Sid, of course. All Sean has ever wanted is for fans to have a good time, and he always made sure they did. But sadly, he can't provide that, and at this point, if he can't perform at his previous level, he won't come back at all. We might be in a time where toughness is big in the WWF, but he has no toughness for anybody. He has the belt to Gorilla, Sean has to go away and try and find the things that he's lost. The most important of those being his smile. Sean sheds a tear as he calls last year the most wonderful of his life, but for now he's going to go home. He hugs Vince, the reaction from the crowd is 50-50 best, shakes hands with the fans and officials and then limps away. Undertaker is up against Savio Vega at the beginning of hour number two. He wins with a choke slam but gets jumped by the entire nation immediately afterwards. Ahmed runs out for the save and eventually clears the ring of the heels. Gritter tells us that the final four match at the pay-per-view will now be for the WWF title. In the interest of fairness, Sid will face the new champion on Raw the next day. Sid himself is facing Stone Cold. The crowd are very much behind Austin in this one. The match is a finesse-free scrap, of course. Brett interferes and goes after Austin, leading to a DQ. Afterwards, Sid gets in Brett's face and they two get it on. Vince asks Mr. Vader for his thoughts on the final four match. Vader tells us that he has already seen all three competitors before and it will be Vader time this time. Owner Bulldog defending the tag titles against Farouk and Crush. Davey seems to be getting a lot of audience support these days. During the match we hear from Brett, he is saddened to hear that Sean has to hang it up. Amazingly his nose doesn't start growing in front of his face. He really hopes that Sean gets his knee fixed. Also, it's not Vader time, it's Hitman time. Back to the match, Owen gets dumped over the top rope and again favours his knee leading to a count-out loss. Owen then doesn't appear too upset at Bulldog being decimated. Brett vs Vader is due to be the main event of Raw, Thursday Raw, or close enough Vince, but the Undertaker's music kicks in and he cuts a promo. He forewarns his opponents on Sunday that they will all rest in peace. The match barely begins before Austin attacks Brett. We get a couple more minutes of action until Vader misses the moonsault. Brett jumps on him for the cover and gets the win. I don't know where I'm at right now. I have to, uh, I have to have everything checked. I may have, I may be beyond reconstructive surgery. I may or may not be able to fix it. But if I can't come back and perform at the level that I performed at before I can't I can't perform uh, I can't come out here and just go half-assed I have to come out here and I have to romp and stomp and I have to get tossed around I have to toss people around and I have to have fun uh, the schedule over the last year I took on because I didn't feel like I could say no I wanted to do everything I wanted to enjoy my life as the WWF champion. I wanted to I wanted to ride in Lear Jets and I wanted to ride in limousines and I wanted to be on TV shows and I wanted to do autograph sessions and and I got to do every bit of that. And if nothing else I have all of that to take with me. But again, and I know right now we're in the middle of a time where Toughness is real big here in the World Wrestling Federation and unfortunately all I've got right now for you is a lot of sorrow, a lot of tears, and a lot of emotion. I don't have any toughness for anybody. Um, so I guess 
you know, here you go. Here's your belt. And uh, what I'm going to do is go back home and see what's left for me, whether it be in this ring, whether it be out of this ring. I know that over uh, the last several months, I've lost a lot of things, and one of them has been my smile. And, and I know it doesn't mean a whole lot to everybody else, but it means a lot to me. So I have to go back and fix myself and take care of myself, and I have to go back and I have to find my smile because somewhere along the line, I lost it, and I don't care, really. I don't care if it's unpopular. I don't care if uh, people want to make fun of me because I'm an emotional guy. Um, but this is this is all I've ever wanted to do, and uh, over the last year I got to do it. And whether you like me or not, I just want to tell you that uh, last year was the most wonderful year of my life. And uh, if I never do get to do it again. It'll be okay because I got to live one full year as being the number one guy in this business and it was the single most greatest year of my life and I have you to thank and I have everybody here to thank and it means a lot to me and uh, I'm going to go home now. Okay. And we come back in. You will have heard the Shawn Michaels promo, interview, lament, whatever you really want to call it. The fact of the matter is is that on the Thursday War Thursday special on February the 13th, he willingly gave up the WWF title belt in the ring with Gorilla Monsoon and Vince McMahon. Cut a very tearful interview. Said that he wasn't able to compete tonight. He may not ever be able to compete ever again. And he handed over the belt and he walked away. And there are so many things we can look at here. Things he said things he didn't say, the way the WWF handled this. But Craig, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, your thoughts on, yeah, your very simple thoughts first off on Shawn Michaels out and out relinquishing the belt. Does it leave a nasty taste even before we get to some of the specifics? I think it's difficult not to look at it quite cynically. Uh, just uh, with, with him previously pulling something like this with the Intercontinental title. So for him to go to the well once again by doing this, it, it, it does leave you very cynical. And it, it just it was a segment that just felt very false. The, there, was, there wasn't many people they could really cut away to uh, in the crowd that were looking very teary. It was mostly just uh, fans very critical as we hinted upon in the news. I can imagine Kevin Dunn in the background saying, please, there must be some girls out there crying. Please try and find them. And they did just about five or six. But as we said in the news, the reception he got wasn't the most favourable one. Bob, what do you think of that in general? Yeah, um, you know, I think there was, you know, really the torch from the Observer, there was perception that the fans maybe hadn't quite grasped the severity of the situation. I think they knew. I mean, you know, they were... They were pushing it quite hard going into the show. Not that the fans, I think, can necessarily see what's being outputted on TV. Um, but they were pushing that quite hard. And, you know, Michaels comes out and it's pretty clear the seriousness of the situation. And then a minute into it, they start chanting, we want Sid, which is not a good sign. 
Um, the promo I thought was very listless. I mean, I know to a point that's the idea. You know, well, the idea is it's meant to be a shoot to one degree or another, and to one degree or another it probably was. Um, but Sean couldn't seem to string two sentences together, i.e. his story was very inconsistent. You know, he mentioned about how, you know, a doctor has never said your your career was in jeopardy. Well, except about 15 months ago, that was exactly the story on there running with on Raw. Um, and then, you know, it's so many things going on, so many possible thoughts. It's very, very difficult to work out how we kind of deal with this, I would say. Yeah, let's let's turn our cynicism up to 10, which might not be that difficult here, and let's look at some facts. Uh, Shawn Michaels wrestled in a dark match on the first two-hour Raw taping, which took place on the January 31st. I believe that match was a three-way against Sid and Brett. There were no reported problems. At the beginning of the week before Thursday, Raw Thursday, they were on a house show loop, and he's been working tags with various combinations of, I think, Sid, Brett, and Austin. And uh, there were no reports of any problems there. Match for Sid was match against Sid was scheduled for Thursday Raw Thursday on February the thirteenth. So we're only really looking at a three day window here. And even if you want to go back a little further, when we last saw him in action on television, which was the Royal Rumble match, yes, he had the flu, but he seemed to get through that pretty much okay. He threw in plenty of high spots there. I remember him on moonsault, plenty of blind body presses. If you're having similar issues with your knee, would you really do that? Ah, uh, possibly not. And I'm not saying that he hasn't had knee problems throughout his career. That's been well, well documented. It just seems very, very convenient for me. I'm, I'm just wondering now, thinking out loud, whether he really even wants to do this in the ring. I think Michael's, for all we, all we rag on him, I think he's a cleverer man than, we, than, we, than he himself would even let on. I think he knew that he was going to get a bit of a ropey reaction here. One of the things he talked about was saying people can chant my name or they can chant Brett's name or they can chant Sid's name. Well, they certainly did chance to stay ahead of yours here, mate. And, Craig, one of the things that really stuck in my crawl, is, I, mean, I had to go back and watch this because I was throwing up once or twice throughout it anyway, when he talks about losing his smile, I mean, what's he going on about there? Yeah, it, it does seem a little bit odd. Uh, another thing that I, I picked out was, uh, that I've got in my notes, was uh, Vince McMahon saying that no previous WWF champion has ever had to endure the schedule that Michaels had. That's clearly nonsense as well. I think I think the, like, if, if they tried to keep this uh, factual without the hyperbole, it might have, uh, might have felt a little bit different. But, I mean, every champion, maybe bar Hogan, that since the WWF expansions had a, a similar, if not harder, schedule, and through through it, there's something to be said for they might have had the same schedule, but none of them necessarily wrestled that kind of style. True, yeah, that, that's a val- that's a valid point, but he, he does have to he does talk about enduring the schedule, so I, I can see how you can take that away. But yeah, I, th- I think the the ultimate thing is that losing your smile just sounds a bit cheesy and naff, and you, you can have doubts about virtually everything else that's said in the segment, either by McMahon or uh, Michaels himself. So yeah, it's incredibly hard not to be very cynical about this whole thing. It's very cheesy, it's very naff, and that is why the WWF have played up that portion of the interview at every opportunity throughout the rest of the month. They played it again in that very edition of Raw, it went out again on the pay-per-view, and I think it went out on at least one of the remaining two Raws, I sort of blocked it out for fear of brain implosion. Uh, Bob, that losing my smile line, just... Yeah, it sounds very unnatural, doesn't it? Um, And also from a guy that's 
always had an attitude. It's not like he's been the most happy-go-lucky guy full stop in the last few years. This idea that he's slightly more pissed off now, it's like, well, you were the guy that last month on TV was, you know, jiving on the announce table while Sid was beating up the uh, <laughs> the, 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 the kid of Jose Lothario. You know, like, it's, yes. it, you know... It, again, like my my problem with the pro wasn't really that. It's just like it it felt very inconsistent. Like he was, you know, it's just a very it's like it was like four different people had written different sections of his promo for him, and he had to read them all out one after another. Um, and it was very hard to believe. And yeah, like you know, very hard to believe in terms of what he said, but also just generally, like you look at the, you know, I think Sean in in '93 he lost. You know, he lost his title by relinquishing it because he had a suspension to serve. I think in 1994, him and Diesel lost the tag titles. They're actually losing them. They were stripped of them. In 95, after what happened in Syracuse, he relinquished the title to Shane Douglas. I, I think that the Sid pinning him in November was the only title change we've seen with Shawn Michaels where he's lost. Um about that, there's no doubts of the legitimacy of the injury, as in I don't think anyone's suggesting he's faking it and I also don't think there's necessarily any doubts about the idea that he could justifiably take time off, there was a perception that the injury was such that if going by pure doctor's orders they could justify him taking the time off to get it fixed, but there's also the point that you know, you've been working on this for a while. Apparently, he's been wearing knee braces for about 18 months, two years when he's wrestling. Um, you know, you could have, you could have not worked. You know, you could have dropped the title to Sid, not worked between then and WrestleMania. God knows, it seems like everyone else is at the moment, given the amount of injuries they've got. What lost to Brett and then just taken some time off? It seems like that would have been possible if there was a will. And I think that's the big point. There just wasn't that will. Sean, for rightly or wrongly, saw an out, saw a way of not having to lose to to Sid. I mean, that's the thing. A lot of people, I think, were under the perception that this was a, a way of not losing the title to Brett at WrestleMania. I think this was a way of not losing the title to Sid that night. Um, and yeah, just the circumstances are very, very suspicious. Sean has got previous. And it did affect my perception of the promo, or I suspect it affected quite a few other people's perception of the promo as well. Like, it it was presented as a shoot, and in many ways it was, but it was like, well, it's presented as a shoot, I'm going to read it as a shoot, and I don't believe it. Craig, do you think, as Bob has very much touched on there, that this was at least a bit of a case of not chopping itis that Michael was suffering from here? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. When you look at the, the the way that he's dropped previous titles, yeah, it's difficult not to just jump to that conclusion. But what, but if I think it was Dave Meltzer who really made this point, and Wakehead, I sort of touched on it as well. They still could have done some sort of angle in which Michaels dropped the title in the ring on Thursday or Thursday. They could have had Austin, or even if Brett, if you want to keep that on going, clipping his knee, said going for a quick pin, okay. It wouldn't go very high on the snowflake scale, but at least Shawn Michaels is losing the title in the ring. And, as we say so often, he then has a legitimate gripe for whenever he does come back for an instant rematch. It's Michaels, I'm going to out and out say it here, Michaels' aversion to jobbing, not only is it very, very, very unfair on the rest of his fellow competitors, I don't really understand what he's trying to gain by it. Um, yeah, that was my kind of takeaway, was that the, you look at the presentation of all of this, there was never a... 
there was never an angle built out of this. It was all very much respectful. Is this the end for Sean? Even Lawler, even Lawler, who's been yes. gone though, he's been heating up this month. The final line, Lawler says, even I think Shawn Michaels can come back from this in like a hopeful babyface Lawler comment. Like you know, we don't, you know, you got fast forward two weeks here, what Lawler's doing on commentary, and it's like the presentation of this was very much WWF kind of pussyfooting around Sean. An interview with Brett later in the show, who you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be. Uh, I'd, I'd be very, very intrigued to hear Bret Hart's unfiltered comments on Shawn Michaels, but I'm not sure they'd resemble what he said on Raw. Let's say that. Oh, I'm so sorry he's injured. I really, really hope he comes back. That was just absolutely hilarious. Poor Bret being put on the spot there. I think everybody knew what was going on with that one. Uh, to, just to round up on this, at least Michaels didn't wear an Outsiders t-shirt this time, which on the February 10th house show he turned up wearing by all accounts. I bet even here we probably need to be convinced not to actually do that. Uh, I think this leaves a, I'll use the phrase again, a very, very nasty taste in the mouth. And Craig, when do you think we're going to see Shawn Michaels again? Will it be the day after WrestleMania? (laughs) Yeah, you you wouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, Yeah, uh, Hopping around and dancing and doing backflips off the top rope? Uh, Yeah, I I I would think so. I think we'll get to see his... uh, He's trademark dancing, and I think he'll forget to sell this injury when he does reappear. When will we see him again, Bob? Do we want to see him again? Well, there's talks that he might even be at WrestleMania. I mean, there's, 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 there's quotes um, been aired on Raw later in the month that said that he might only be out four to six weeks. Um, there's stories also that... Um, you know, Michaels won't wrestle on the show, but could be involved. That could be interesting. Um, but yeah, like, you know, who knows? I think Michaels knows. Michaels knows a lot more than he's letting on. Yes, there you go. It's, I think when we, hit, when we reconvene in December, we will definitely be talking about this interview as one of the moments of the year. But one of the best moments of the year, I really, really do not think so. Michael's absence, or his surrendering of the title, meant that the In Your House Final Four pay-per-view, the main event for that, was now going to be for the World Wrestling Federation title, as stated by Gorilla Monsoon during that edition of Thursday Raw Thursday. And now I see no better title... No... Sorry, Bob, no one's got, a, no one's got the results up for the pay-per-view, have they? I have. Yeah, I do. Hey, good one. You're both ahead of the game. Might as well keep that in. Who wants to go and give us the results? Craig, give us the results of the In Your House Final Four pay-per-view, please. No problem at all. In the opening match, Mark Miro uh, with Sable defeated Leaf Cassidy in a singles match. The team of Farouk, Crush and Savio Vega with Clarence Mason in the corner then defeated the odd pairing of Bart Gunn, Goldust and Flash Funk. Intercontinental champion Rocky Maivia retained his title in a 12-minute match against Hunter Hearst Helmsley. The tag team titles were then on the line as Owen Hart and a British Bulldog again with Clarence Mason faced the team of Furness and Lafon, with Doug Furness and Phil Lafon winning via disqualification, meaning the Hart and Bulldog retain the title. And in the main event for the, the vacant WWF Championship, Bret Hart defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin, Vader with Paul Bearer and The Undertaker in a stellar 25-minute match. Both these guys had the results in front of them. How could I ever doubt veterans of the game like you two? Bob, your thoughts on <laughs> In Your House Final Four? Um, I feel like I could just turn on the recording from one of our, any of our shows from last year um, and just play whatever, you know, with the idea that 
There's the, the undercard was pretty flat as normal, involving guys that aren't over in matches that were long but not very good. And then the main event was rather excellent. And that was the case here. Um, yeah. Big, two, two big thumbs up from the main event and not much else. Craig? Uh, yeah, totally. The, the main event's uh, pretty fantastic, but I guess that's what happens when you put big stars that are hugely over in the match uh, and add in a very gory blade job. The, the rest is pretty hit and miss. The tag team titles match is good, and beyond the debut of a very large muscular woman in the IC title match, which I'm sure we'll come back to later on in the year, there really isn't much that you could go without seeing on this card. Yep, and we both you guys on this one, very much a three from three. In the WWS defence, this particular in your house was absolutely 100% trialled as a one-match show. They made no pretense to any anything other than our four big stars were in the main events. And there will be some other matches as well. There was some decent stuff in at least in a fair few of those other matches. The tag team match I thought was terrific. A big, big moment we can talk about going forward as well with Hunter Hurselmsley and Goldust. So the undercard served its purpose. It was there just to really work the whistle for a main event which blew everything else. In fact, it blew everything else I've seen in any promotion so far this year in the first two months. It had one big major logic flaw, which I'll get to a bit later on, but the action of 25 minutes all for Big names, they went out there and they gave us something very, very special. We will get there when we get there and we will talk through the In Your House Final Four pay-per-view. We get the now standard black and white intro video. This one gives dear old HBK yet another verbal reach around, whilst putting over the importance of the WWF title for all four men involved. Emphasising, one again, there's only one match here that really counts. We are live at the UTC Arena in Chattanooga, Tennessee on February the 16th. Our commentary team are Jerry Lawler, Jim Ross... Yes, Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross. There is no Vince McMahon on commentary for the first time on pay-per-view since, I believe, King of the Ring 1994. And let's face it, at that time, he was pretty busy elsewhere. So I'm afraid our water manoeuvre count is going to be at zero throughout the entire night. So if you're playing bingo there, not this time. We kick straight into our opening match, which is Mark Mero against Leaf Cassidy. Dear old Leaf gets the currently in the ring jobber entrance, which you don't see often on pay-per-view, so that shows you where he is on the totem pole. Mark Mero versus Leaf Cassidy to kick us off in. Mero opens with some deep arm drags and locks in a couple of arm bars. Mero then just shoves Cassidy headfirst into the mat for a little while. Cassidy trips him up outside, then wraps Mero's left knee until Sable gets the shot in. Cassidy gets caught up in this, then Mero goes to the top rope and hits him with an axe handle. Back in, Mero leaps back over the top rope, leg dropping Cassidy for a count of two. Cassidy recovers and drop kicks Cass- Cassidy recovers and drop kicks Mero twice in the left knee. So there's your psychology for the evening. Cassidy then focuses on the knee and Mero, to his credit, keeps on selling it. Cassidy rolls into a leg lace and he holds that in on the mat as the crowd responds with a chance of ECW, of course. Big double leg drop keeps Cassidy working on the knee. Mero tries to fight up out of it but Leaf holds him right back down. The crowd now starts to rally Mero but Cassidy switches right back to another leg lace. Some more kicks and a snapmare and a sit-up ankle lock. That looked very nice. Mero manages to fight up and hits the dear old Desperation Enziguri and gets a three-quarter Nelson roll-up for a count of two. Cassidy hits back with a figure of four leg lock. Here's J.O. on commentary. A figure of four leg lock, the move made famous by the nature boy. Buddy Rogers. Who else? Sable helps Mero reach the rope, interestingly. Leaf goes outside and admonishes, and admonishes Sable, but she then slaps him square across the face. Mero then dives through with a tope. Back in the ring again with some more headshot face plants, 
and now we get a Samoan drop to set up the wild thing, but Mero is still struggling with his knee. But he does fight to the top rope, he hits the wild thing, and he wins the match. Craig? Nothing much here. I, I quite like Leaf Cassidy, but in terms of an in-ring performer, but there's nothing much to him, and it's clear that this character's just dying. Uh, nothing more evident than A, being stuck with Mark Miro, and B, getting the job or entrance. That it, it, I'd have been disappointed with this if this had been on Raw. Bob? Yeah, um, you talk about Mero selling the knee, um, but the happened, it wasn't really him selling, it was just the knee um, you know, he's carrying a knee injury, apparently he's been working for a couple of weeks with a torn ACL which has wiped him out of Wrestlemania did we cover that in the news um, but you know, you just look at all that and you just think you know, we've had WCW for months and months opening with these all action high paced openers, it's not necessarily to say you need to copy it um, but the thought was that these two guys should have been two of your better guys having that kind of match. And whether it was down to Mera's knee injury being so bad, but they just never tried. And the question then becomes, well, if Mero's not in a, in a condition where he can work that kind of match, then just don't have him in the match. Put someone else in there. I know they're desperate for guys right now. It doesn't look good on them at all. Um, but yeah, this match was flat. Um, they're desperately trying with Mero and Sable to get something to work. Sable's wearing sunglasses now because it's attitude and you know all that kind of thing. Didn't really work. Um, and do you remember when Mark Mero couldn't win a match with the Wild Thing? Because that was a weird time. <laughs> I sort of miss those days, really. Uh, yes, uh, Mero is indeed working with an injury. And in the last Observer of the Month, it was to- uh, a week after this, it looks like it could be out for at least another six months. Uh, which is a bit of a, which is a real, real problem for him. Playing into it, into this match did help. And it gave us something to latch onto though, because otherwise I agree with both of you guys. There wasn't really a whole lot here. I think they're wasting Cassidy or Al Snow as we, we know him in his ECW days. This guy can go. He's, there's a lot of styles he's capable of working. He's very, very talented. Yet he's saddled with jobber entrances and opening matches with a gimmick where he is named after two 70s heartthrob teen idols. Only so far you can actually go with that. Apparently, they will actually be changing his gimmick again in a month or so's time. I believe they're going to be calling him the Mexican Musk Superstar. Is that a step up from Leaf Cassidy? I'm not so sure it is. Screams main event, let's be honest. <laughs> Bring back Avatar, that's what I say. Uh, yes, and a major problem with Mero, whether or not he's going to be out for, uh, for out for a few more months. My issues with him are twofold. They tried to give him an attitude... Well, everyone's got an attitude now, so that's now nothing new. And secondly, they want to adapt his in-ring style. All that really seems to me for me is that now he's added ramming his opponent's head into the mat to his arsenal. You've got to give me more than that if you want me to give in to me. This guy's really got something behind him. He's now just worse. It's, it's, and it's a shame, isn't it? Because <laughs> we've said many times on this pod during his... I keep saying it every time we talk about Mero. This guy is... I really like what this guy is capable of doing. His, his run of excellent matches he's had over the last 18 months, particularly his WCW ones in his last run there. He's been in too many good matches to get the bad rap he does, yet it just has not. He's been WWF for one year now. He's held the IC title, but nothing has happened for him. And maybe, just maybe, if he is going to take some time off for an injury, Craig, they can actually use this to try to get something 
get something new going with him because I think they're wasting him at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I always feel that whenever we talk about a Matt Mero match on uh, on this podcast, I'm, I'm obliged to talk about how great he was in WCW and how disappointed the man must have been to to get compared to the hugely charismatic uh, character who played in uh, the WCW. But the crowd just aren't into him. I, I, I genuinely don't think it helps with with Stable. If it was hugely over, then Stable would just be a nice little bonus. But with him not being so over, it, it just it's, it just detracts attention from him. And I, I, th- I think that's quite harmful. Whether or not they can give him a, a shot in the arm when he's out, is uh, is another thing. I mean, it might it might limit his style further if that if that injury is pretty bad. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's toiling in the opening match of a pay per view. I think that speaks volumes. It does. Possession is nine tenths of the law, and Sable for him is nine tenths of his pops. Bob, you said two months ago that Mero should turn heel. If Sable is getting the nine share of the attention, that would be a natural way to actually do it, wouldn't it? Uh, um... After he comes back. Because he's going nowhere as a face, even a face with attitude. It's not working. No, it's not. I mean, yeah, getting getting Sable away from him probably is the best way of doing it. But, yeah, it's just like, I almost want to scrap this whole thing and start again. Like, you know, we, you know, we, we talk about kind of just playing previous shows back. Like, I think we could just repeat, rinse to repeat what we said about Mara before. Um, but, yeah, just, you know, it doesn't work right now. Uh, the in-ring style doesn't fit the character. The, you know, hot wife on the outside doesn't fit the character, rightly or wrongly. Um, none of it works right now. None of it's connecting. They can't seem to find a good opponent for him. They can't seem to find a ring style that fits this character. They can't seem to find a definition of what wild man's supposed to mean in any kind of context. Just send him away and tell him to be John B. Bad under a different name. I think that's the best way of doing it. Maybe they could indeed give him a gimmick where he thinks he's a rock and roll star from the 1950s, perhaps. Could do. But we can't do that because coming up next, we've got the Honky Tonk Man. Ah, you see what I did there. The Honky Tonk Man comes in the ring, but he doesn't really do anything, which is just how I like him. <laughs> However, we still need to make time to play another five minutes of that interview with Shawn Michaels from Thursday or Thursday again. I'd almost forgotten it happened. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. That makes me pine for Kevin Kelly interviewing Sid. Sid shouts a lot, but of course he does. He then rabbits onto something to, something to do with time. <laughs> I lost track very early on. He eventually gets to the point saying that he's going to win back the title on Raw tomorrow. That's more like it, Sid. Keep it simple, mate. Flash Funk boogies on down to ringside with no Vince this time to spoil it. This is going to be a six-man tag with him teaming up alongside Bart Gunn and Goldust. The war gets separate entrances. Their opponents of the Nation of Domination who arrive through the crowd with their full to a rush. So we've got Flash Funk, Bart Gunn and Goldust taking on the NOD. Farouk's mic fails straight away. I don't know if that was planned or not, but then we kick straight into a six-man brawl. The heels bail, then Funk crossbodies onto all three of them from the top rope. We properly start with Funk taking on Farouk. The latter hits a big spine buster. Savio Vega in, and he takes a top rope runner, but Crush breaks it up. In a very innovative spot, Bart Gunn Irish whips Funk off the ropes, then Gorilla presses him onto the three heels on the outside. The numbers game soon takes over, though, and the NOD take control uh, with Crush in the ring. Funk taking the heat. Regular tags now taking place. Crush and Savio and Farouk coming in at regular intervals. Uh, a spike pile driver on Funk gets a two count. Farouk and Savio are back in. They go for a double clothesline, but in a brilliant moment, Funk rolls up the clothesline, 
sort of under somersaults back, runs around, then hits a double clothesline of his own. You have to see it to believe it, actually. I'm not sure my description quite did it justice. This guy is... He's got so much ability, Funk. Really, really has. Fantastic little moment there. He then gets the hot tag, and here comes Bart Gunn with his old-fashioned early 70s baby face fire. Yet things quickly break down again. We get yet another PS6. Bart hits the ball, but the ref is is distracted. Crushed leg drops Bart in the back of the head, and Farouk gets the 1-2-3. It's worth mentioning that Goldust never even tagged into this match. Uh, Your thoughts on this one, Bob? (sighs) Yep. (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) I mean... It's just death, isn't it? I mean, you know, you just you're thinking Scorpio deserves so much more than this, and like I, I, I just would have like, can we not have just done Funk and Farouk and just left the rest? Like, I mean, this was all. I mean, you know, Vega in the nation of Doc Vega's Vega is so bad. Like Vega is the worst. Good wrestler I have ever seen. Brilliant. He's the, the worst. You know, he's just technically very sound. You know, he's gone through training school. He can do all the basics, and he, you know, he doesn't botch very often. He's not particularly the guy that's going to make very many fuck ups. And yet he's dreadful. Crush is also dreadful. Bart Gunn is also dreadful. Goldust is going nowhere. And then you do all of that, and you got Farouk, and you've got Funk, and it's just awful. Like I, uh, yeah, move on, almost, almost, I feel like it. <laughs> I'm with you, Bob. Uh, Funk Farouk, to me, does seem like a pretty decent between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania mini-feud as well, the place they could have gone there. Yet, we had to get everybody on the card. Craig? It's bizarre that we had to get everyone on the card, yet it gets allocated less than seven minutes. Uh, it's it's difficult to disagree with anything else. Uh, don't sorry, don't encourage them to make this longer, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I won a World Broadway six-man tag. Uh, no, uh, yeah, I agree. Fruit uh, versus Funk would have been good. And uh, Bob very eloquently run down the, the other uh, superstars in here. I really, really, really dislike Savio Vega. What show was it last year, Bob? Was it King of the Ring that he wrestled about 30 times uh, during the it, night? It was It was 18 months ago, but it, it feels clute sooner. It felt 18 months watching that card, seeing that many Savio Vega matches. But yeah, he yeah, the, the, Funk's really, really great. He doesn't deserve to be saddled with, uh, as Bob says, is a golden over gold dust and Bart fucking gun. But yeah, th- this was dreadful. Uh, yeah, that, that can't really add anything other than swear words to this, guys. <laughs> Go right ahead. This was billed as a six-man tag, but there was really only one man in the match, and that was Funk, who, as you say, is being completely and utterly wasted with this, this drab nothing tribe. He's got so much ability. The crowds are into him. He's He's got a style which you haven't seen. I don't think you've I've really seen anybody in the WWF with his a genuine out-and-out high-flying style that he has, and that's his real number one modus operandi. Mero could do it if Perhaps. his knee was all right and if he Perhaps. was, you know, if he was wrestling a John of Bad type style. Mero's the only Perhaps. other one capable, I think. I think the reason that everyone seems to like Funk is that he genuinely seems to be enjoy being in the ring. I, I get the impression he's the person that goes backstage and says, yep, they really they really love me out there today and I love giving it to them, and that is to his eternal credit. So just, just give him something else to do, i.e. anything else to do. But Bob, you're absolutely right. Savio Vega is just walking death. He's, he's the, he was the worst babyface of probably all time. And he could well end up being the worst heel of all time. The promo he cut on the, uh, the 3rd of February Raw was the most generic, boring heel promo in the history of generic, boring heel promos. And that is some bleeding claim, I can tell you. 
his absolute pure go-away heat every time I see him on my television. However, he's only just joined the nation, so he's probably got months and months of this to come. Yeah, a total waste of pay-per-view time. Even Dustin Rhodes thought so, because he didn't want anything to really do with this. And three words before we go on. Bart fucking gun. Right, on we go. We've got Doc Hendricks talking backstage to Steve Austin when his mic eventually works. There's quite a cute moment, actually, when the mic fell straight away and Austin actually leans in to hear what Doc's saying, which is quite amusing. We eventually hear him tell Steve that he doesn't have a clear-cut victory over any of his opponents tonight. Austin counters by saying at the Royal Rumble he eliminated them all anyway. He is sick of the bureaucratic BS of the office here at the WWF. They're the likes of which have been held him down for the last seven years. Doesn't matter what they think, because he is going to become the WWF champion later tonight. Short, to the point, Steve Austin. God, I love him. Next up, Hunter has a rematch against, excuse me, Hunter has a rematch against the new intercontinental champion, Rocky Maivia. Rocky's oiled up, he's permagrinning, and he's getting a very tepid reaction from the fans here. Intercontinental title, Rocky Maivia, which he won on Thursday or Thursday, defending against, uh, sorry, yes, defending against Hunter herself, so here we go. Much like me, this gets off to a very, very weak start. They completely mess up the international, and then their timing is off on a drop toehold of all things. Both guys stand around and stare at each other for a few seconds of that one while they reset. A few drop kicks, a few arm drags, then my beer gets in some big slaps. Helmsley takes over with some knees. And then we get a back body drop into yet another arm drag and the crowd goes mild. For some reason, they try to do the international spot again. This time they just about get it right with Helmsley leveraging Rocky over the top rope. Baseball slide and a body slam out on the mats. A Rocky chunk goes up but it dies before it really properly gets going. Double axe, then we're back in. Helmsley hits what JR brilliantly calls a sloopex. What would Gordon Soley say to that? The knee to the head that never hits gets a two count. Then we get a long headlock on the mat with Helmsley putting his feet on the ropes. Hebner mercifully spots the cheating and then he has to actually do something else. A knee to the jaw, gee thanks. That gets a two count as well. In a callback to how he won the title on Thursday, Rocky gets a, gets a flash inside cradle, but this time Helmsley kicks out at two. Helmsley with a backbreaker, and we're back to the frigging headlock. A Rocky chunk goes up, and it stays around for a bit longer this time. Rocky fights out and hits a flying body press for two. Helmsley holds the ropes on a dropkick attempt, but he then misses a knee, yet he does hit an eye rake. Their transitions are all off in this one. Rocky catches the leg, but Helmsley then gets in a clothesline. He goes for another axe handle off the top rope, but he gets punched in the stomach. Rocky hits back with an inverted atomic drop on a hard right hand, then a power slam. He goes to the top rope and there are yet more audible boos for him again. Another flying body press and again only two. I'm, lo- I'm losing the will to live as Helmsley gets a stun gun and a flare pin. Just somebody take the three count. But suddenly, Rocky kicks out at two. Floats over DDT and again a kick out. Devastating shoulder breaker but very few people care. Helmsley gets in a neck breaker and here, I never thought I'd say this, I'm glad to see Goldust come down to ringside. He, let's say, beckons Triple H towards him with a few, I'm going to call them, choice gestures. While Helmsley is watching this, and watching this very closely, I hasten to add, Rocky sneaks up behind him and executes a German suplex, and thank God that gets the three count. We have some post-match stuff to talk about a bit later on, but Craig, while I go and reach for something strong, have a chat about this match for me. Go on, you know you want to. uh, God, uh, you're, you're talking about reaching for something strong, as I was just about to mention Goldust fondling himself at the end. <laughs> <laughs> There's a segue. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, 
if I'm, I'm going to start positively, uh, uh, Hunterhurst Helmsley manages to get uh, a little bit of heat, which he deserves credit for here, because the fans absolutely hate Rocky Maivia. Absolutely hate him. And it's difficult really they not don't to. I mean, absolutely hate him. They don't like there, him. There, there, there are portions of the crowd who have turned on him. I wouldn't say that he's getting so 100% booze yet, but they're there, right? They're definitely there. This, 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 is, this isn't Shane Douglas in the ECW arena. It's not that level of hate. Alright, so maybe I'm just letting my own feelings seep into this. <laughs> I, 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 think the, I think the biggest thing they've done wrong with Rocky Maivia is not actually give him, giving him a, a proper proper finisher. I know he's got the shoulder breaker, but that's like garbage. But I, I mean, it, it, it just seems to be a collection of moves rather than... Like, there's no psychology, it's just, here's another move, and you can't buy into him. If he, if he was building towards a, some sort of a, a strong finisher, then there might be interest in him. But yeah, it's just it's just very generic stuff, and yeah, it's difficult to, to really care. I don't think the fans really did, and yeah, I was surprised to how much I appreciated seeing Goldust at the end, too. Thank you for small mercies. Bob? I feel like the, the 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 best or worst praise I can give this match was that I feel like Savio Vega would have improved it. Um, I mean, you know, just, just... I mean, this is one of the sloppiest matches I've ever seen. Um, you know, they, they fucked up so many things. So many quite basic things. And the one thing you didn't mention, Rory, and I'm sure the other thing, was the, the, the flight over DDT that Rocky did, where he kind of lost control of Hunter's head on his way down. Yes. He hit the mat, and then Hunter ended up like doing a face-first bump about half a second later, which looked horrible. Um, this was dreadful. I mean, if you're going to push a guy as green as Rocky Maivia, and there are a 100,000 reasons not to do it, don't put him in the ring with a guy as green as Hunter Hurst Helmsley. This was awful. Um, and yeah, like I, I, my my biggest thing for this was with three matches into the show, and I don't think the crowd have liked anyone so far. With good reason. In a few months' time, if I'm once again I'm, I'm interested with having to come up with the ten worst matches of the year, we're going to need to see some stinkers for this one not to be in there. Because I always try when I'm looking when matches that really disappoint me are ones which are supposed to be high profile. This is on a pay per view for the Intercontinental Title. That needs to matter. That this match it delivered on virtually no grounds whatsoever. Rocky Maivia is nowhere near ready yet. I, I barely even think he's ready for the main roster. I mean, I'm with you, Craig. He just he's just a collection of moves, no rhyme, no reason, no psychology, no plan. He just throws everything he can at the wall, and very little of it is sticking. And I've made my opinions on Hunter Hearst Helmsley very, very clear in the past. I'm going to do so again. Maybe he did manage to get a tiny bit of heat this time, but he is just so damn boring. Yet the office clearly loved the guy. Is that his friendship with Shawn Michaels helps him, and they are going to do whatever they can to try and get him over. We're going to talk about that again in just a, just a little while. And they're not going to give up on this guy, are they? I wish they bloody would. This match was awful. They screwed so many things up. The crowd didn't care. They're starting to turn on Rocky a bit and say it's far from 100% booze. He's still getting the uh, he's still getting the girly pops, but there's a portion of the crowd, and this wasn't a big crowd. They're not turning like, on him. They didn't no, like him in the yeah, first no. place. <laughs> okay, well, so, you, you say that, Bob, but surprisingly, when Survivor Series in front of a New York crowd, and let's face it, they would make their feelings known a bit later on. 
they seem to give him a fairly warm welcome there. It's happened because people are realising that there's not a lot of meat on this particular steak. If they carry on like this, then it could start getting really, really bad. I, to be fair, I think I'd get cheered in a ring in New York opposite Crush and Gold Dust. I don't, I don't think that's the... I think that's the biggest barometer for success as a babyface, that you're getting cheered. They were cheering because the match was near its conclusion. That was why. No, Bob, you, Bob you're a natural face. You, you make Ricky Steamboat look like Crusher Khrushchev, so don't give me that. <laughs> but he's won the IC title far too early in his career. People are really going to start resenting him, and especially if they carry on putting on stinkers like this. There was no... The transitions, as I said, were rubbish. They had no idea how to move from one chain section to the next... There were a couple of areas where they were just standing around wanting what to do. A lot of their moves looked awful. This was an absolute disaster. And I really, really hope that important people in the company actually saw what a disaster this is and take action accordingly. However, we come to the very important post-match stuff. Goldust and Helmsley stare each other down. Goldust slowly gets up on the apron so it looks as though they're going to have a Barney between them. However, whilst he does that, we see a camera cut away of a muscle-bound woman grabbing Marlena from behind over the guardrail. She holds her around the neck for a good few seconds before security lead her away. Goldust goes to tend to Marlena. We see a replay of this, and we see that this muscle-bound woman absolutely grabbed and hauled Marlena towards her with some, some strength, I have to say. It was, it was pretty heavy stuff. The commentary team played this up as an overzealous fan getting involved, although Lawler makes a couple of gags at it so you know that... This is still very much a pre-planned angle, but it was a good one. Uh, simple, but very effective. Bob, what do you think? Yeah, you remember when the uh, the whole thing with Lawrence Taylor a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. And amongst other things, the praise was, well, it's really good because the way it was presented, because they, they, they had it happen, and then they just never mentioned it again. They apologised and move on. That would be my only criticism. Otherwise, I thought it was quite effective. The woman has... Literally very, very impressive. Probably the best body on the show so far. Um, and yeah, it was it worked really, really well, I thought. Other than replaying it again, other than that, I thought it was strong and, and finally something interesting on this show. I didn't mind them replaying it again, actually, because we, we only actually caught the second half of it. So to see exactly how she set her up by reaching over and hauling my... But it's not meant there. to be an angle, is it? It's meant no, to be a fan of the crowd, yes. right? Yeah, I guess so. You could say, if you're being charitable, that they were using their outside ringside camera. Maybe they were trying to be a bit too clever by half there. But I'm going to give them a pass on this one because I did like it. Craig? Hey, yeah, I, I quite liked it as well. Uh, she she looks enormous. She looks terrifying. Uh, it, it, it's something a, a little bit different in that regard. So, yeah, I, I, I liked how it was presented. Uh, and, yeah, it was probably the most interesting bit of this. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. Just to fill in a few gaps, uh, he's, she's been named as Joni Lee, is her name. She's a, she is actually a wrestler from Mercy, uh, done some work in Northeast Territories. She's actually a bodybuilder as well, but you probably could have worked that out yourself. They're not actually sure what they're going to name her yet. It looked as though she was going to go by the name of Joan. Not the most threatening name, perhaps. Conjures up images of tea cosies and chocky bickies, but never mind. Although on the European tour, which took place after this, she was accompanying Helmsley to the ring, going by the name of China. So it looks as though she's going to be going forward his his bodyguard. He was with Mr. Hughes very briefly last month, if you remember, but he's been he's been taken off the road. He's got some major health problems, unfortunately. So it looks as though the dynamic they might be going for here is China, if that's her name, being Hunter Hearst Helmsley's female bodyguard. Do you think, Craig, that's something that could work? 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's different. Uh, I, I did like, uh, on health terms, we have in... Mr. Hughes, I think he's sort of, it's a character that would benefit from having someone at ringside that gets some of those sneaky sort of heel wins that might help him get over. I mean, first and foremost, she's very different, uh, very different aesthetically. And yeah, interested to see how it plays out. I mean, it, it helps his character get over. That can only be a good thing for him. And let's face it, that is the goal here. The office are going to do what they can to get this guy over no matter what. Bob, what do you reckon? I mean, if they can't get over... If he can't generate heat with a woman as his manager bodyguard, then he's done. Like, you know. I mean, my only question as to whether this works or not is just going to be whether it's a case of like with Goldust, where it's a character that just becomes possibly well before its time. As in, possibly the audience aren't ready for a... Uh, but they weren't ready for Goldust, the character like that to be presented that way, and they may not be ready for a woman like that to be presented this way. But the idea of a heel act having a female bodyguard at ringside who can do all the dastardly things that managers do, but because she's a woman, the baby faces can't fight back, that in itself is almost flawless. Um, and yeah, if this doesn't work, nothing will. I think it's going to be interesting, and let's face it, it's very rare that I say the words Hunter, Hurst, Helmsley are interesting in the same sentence. So we've got something going for it there. Let's let it play out and see where it goes. Here's Vader with, uh, here's Vader with Paul Bearer being interviewed backstage. Vader stumbles over his words a lot on this one before wisely just settling on making those threatening poses. Bearer gets on the mic and does Bearer stuff. Well, that was a bit of a waste of time. It's tag team title match now. Furnace and Lafona in the ring as Royal Britannia strikes up. Bulldog poses in the aisle and Owen darts right in front of him, which is always enjoyable to see. We get footage of Owen accidentally, inverted commas, eliminating the Bulldog from the Royal Rumble. So here we go, then Owen Hart and the British Bulldog defending the tag team titles against Doug Furness and Philip Lamar. Owen and Furness kick off. They get the international rights, then Furness starts working on the arm. Quick tag to Lafon, he and Owen work in a beautiful near-fall sequence out of a monkey flip and the head scissors. Just beautiful stuff. Bulldog tags in and refuses a handshake. Sunset flip gets two, spinning heel kick gets two. Owen in, kicks Lafon on the apron, then the heels take control. Uh, Owen hits a twisting press off, off, sorry, Owen tags in, hits a twisting body press off the second rope, but Lafon gets the WrestleMania 10 roll through reversal for two. Owen with a gut wrench suplex. Davey in with a big clothesline and he does that somersault flip thing for a few cheers. We hear on commentary that Marlena's attacker has been kicked out of the arena. Owen and Bulldog set up Lafon for a vertical suplex into a crossbody that looks great. Lafon kicks out. If they want a tag team finish at Owen and Bulldog, they could do a lot worse than that one. And we get a double reversal from both teams on an inside cradle. Bulldog holds up Lafon, but Owen catches him with his spinning heel kick instead. Owen then slaps the Bulldog. Who clotheslines Owen? Lafon flashpins Owen, but Bulldog is still there to break it up. Furnace tags in, gets two off a big suplex. Uh, double team backdrop also gets a two count. Quick tags all the time here. Now Lafon for the Northern Light Suplex. We're backing with Furnace with a Rana into a bridge. God, these two are good. Then we get a moment where they're back in again and on Owen Hart they hit deep breath, a double team super kick, clothesline DDT, leg drop combination. Owen sells that like an absolute god again, a two count. Davy is in after a big insiguri. Drop kick, press slam, 
Lafon recovers with a crucifix sunset flip. The action's too fast to call at the moment. The heels now collide on an Irish whip double team. Daly kicks out before three. Now we come to the finish. He recovers and he picks up Lafon for the running power slam. Before he can hit it, though, Owen whacks Lafon in the back with the slammy right in front of the referee. That's, of course, grounds for a disqualification. Bulldog is furious with Owen Hart for this. The latter, not unreasonably perhaps, says to him that it doesn't really matter because they keep the belts anyway. Bulldog doesn't want to hear it though and he throws the belt down. He then gets Owen Hart slammy and slams that down, causing it to break. Owen Hart reacts to that as only Owen Hart can. I'm not even sure it was planned that the slammy would break, but he reacted just golden. Just hearing Owen Hart shout out the words, you broke my slammy, is almost worth the price of admission alone. Eventually, Owen Hart and Clarence Mason calm down Davey, but the seeds there have very, very much been planted. Bob? What a bizarre match this was. Uh, the, the in-ring action at times was excellent, um, but I, I've got no idea what the plan was here. Like, they they, they, they seemed to break up Owen and Bulldog about five times during the match without any real sense or reason as to why they'd have a, yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah, in, in a sense, because we're conditioned to think that any individual fuck-up in one match is either telegraphing a breakup or is about to cause one. They did loads of different things here. None of it really stuck. The wrestling oftentimes was great. And then you just get to the angle, and the, the, the finish is just so deflating. And I couldn't work out why they just didn't put the titles on Furness and Lafon. You could have done exactly the same match. Had a much more satisfying, crowd-pleasing finish. We don't have many of those tonight, because really the crowd haven't been into anyone. Not necessarily to say they're all over Furness and Lafon either. Um, but yeah, I, I feel I feel kind of... Um, conflicted here. The action was often great, but the the angle stuff was really bad. Craig, I, I felt so, I feel sorry for anyone that has to sort of transcribe this match. So much happens that the and these two teams are excellent. Big fan of Owen Hart. Under Owen Hart's vastly underrated in this time. The, the whole sla- him carrying the slammy just just amazing. He uh, the the teasing of the stuff with the bulldogs excellent. The the th- the thing is though, Furness and Lafon are excellent in the ring, but there's little to them in way of character. So, can you really see them getting over in and as the company moved to more edgy, more edgy thing? They're quite a sort of classic '80s. We're very good at wrestling type tag team rather than a, anything with much of a storyline. But yeah, this match was absolutely sensational, absolutely they're also, terrific. They're also not going to get over if they don't win the titles. True. Uh, and it, it does seem to be that WWF are teasing a, a babyface turn from the from the British Bulldog. Whether or not that comes to pass, wait and see. But it, there's a great dynamic going on between Owen and the Bulldog at the moment. Uh, and long may that continue. Well, it's a turn they've been teasing for a very, very long time. And yes, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, I'm with you, Bob. When Bulldog hit the clothesline in the middle of the match and the, cr- and the crowd popped, I thought that was the turn right there. Yet ten seconds later, he's there breaking up a pin. They tried to do a little too much with the booking a little too early there. I think they should have just gone ahead and done the, done the Bulldog turn right there, right now. They work out, Furness and Lafon become the champions. You set up your heart and Bulldog feud, maybe even possibly for Mania. The match, the action that these were able to give us when the booking wasn't confusing things was wonderful. I've, I've said many times I'm going to say, hopefully I'm going to have many more times to say it. Furness and particularly Lafon are absolutely wonderful. I love them, I love them, I love them. 
they can just they really can just do everything. Everything they do has a purpose. I don't feel like they're just showing off with their wrestling ability. They are wrestling because they know they've got the moves in their locker. They're going to pin their opponents to the mat to the one, two, three, and that's why they do it. However, as you both intimated, being great wrestlers, it's what they are, but it's also their gimmick in the world of the World Wrestling Federation. It pains me to say this a lot of time because I'm very much a work great man, but that's only going to take you so far. And I worry that they've actually reached their ceiling already and they're not ever going to pull the trigger on them winning the titles, even with Hart and Bulldog seemingly breaking up any time soon. If they are going to break up, then surely it has to be Furnace and Lafon who actually end up winning it. And if that's going to happen, that needs to happen soon on Raw, ideally before WrestleMania. Although I would have no problem with them doing this match on Mania, give them a full 20 minutes, I think they could absolutely tear the house down. But the moves they, uh, the action they did give us here was absolutely great. Some fantastic sequences. I think that Owen in particular really likes working with people like this who let him really cut loose and be himself. A heart back to when he was in Japan in, in the early 90s. He knows how to bump these guys' offense and make it look even more devastating than it already could be. So yes, great work. This match is very much worth a watch. But the booking, where they're just not quite pulling the triggers they should be trigger, triggering, makes it a little harder to see than it should be. But I don't blame any of the four guys involved for that. They gave it their all. And there was some just outright terrific wrestling. And sometimes here at the WWF, it's nice to simply be able to say that. We're moving towards our main event now as Doc inter- interviews The Undertaker. He has recovered, he's rediscovered some of his edge. The force we saw in the early 90s is coming back. He tells his opponents, I just need to accept it and hope that I spare your lives. Get in my way and I will annihilate you. It's not when, it's not how, but it will happen, he says, almost making sense. And now it is indeed main event time. Here are the rules. All four wrestlers are in the ring at the same time. There are no countouts, there are no disqualifications. Elimination is going to occur by pinfall, submission, or going over the top rope with both feet hitting the floor. Remember that. The last man standing will be crowned the WWF champion. Vader comes out first, followed by Austin. They both give each other the thing. They both give each other the finger, which Jr. apologises for. He didn't need to apologise. It was great. Next out is Undertaker, interestingly, and he gets the usual Undertaker reaction. Before Brett emerges, we get a quick interview with Kevin Kelly. He just tells that everybody in the ring is tough, but he's got experience, he's got heart. May the best man win. Me. His music hits, and it must be said, he gets a pretty big pop. So then, deep breath, here we go. Our final four match for the Baker's WWF titles with Bret Hart, The Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Vader. Right, hold my shoes, I'm going in. Austin pairs off, Austin pairs off with Bret, Undertaker pairs off with Vader, as you would expect. We get a big close up by The Undertaker and he goes after everybody. He then does the rope walk on Austin. Lawler calls for Austin to just knock him off the top rope, which makes sense really, but of course he doesn't. Vader with a belly-to-belly on Taker, then it's spilled to the outside through the ropes. Vader steals Howard Finkel's chair but only hits the ring post with it. He tries again running towards Undertaker, but he gets the chair kicked right back into his face. Vader, or Blader, as J.R. Freudian Slip nearly calls him, is now bleeding. In the ring, Austin's getting two off a hard right as all four men now climb back in. Sleeper by Brett and Austin, but there's the jaw jacker for a two count. Utie sets up a chokeslam, he gets it. Austin sort of hits an ish stunner on The Undertaker and gets two. That, that didn't quite work. Low blow, low blow by Vader on Brett. Vader is now bleeding very badly from around his left eye. He clocks Brett in the back with a chair twice on the outside, while Austin, The Undertaker, brawl in the aisleway. 
Undertaker backdrops Austin in the ROI and he gets a huge pop just for doing that. Less is more. Undertaker and Brett now, the former, getting a two count. Austin blocks a Vader stair shot, then he holds them on top of Vader and they are just beating the piss out of each other, those two. Brett works at Undertaker's leg whilst Austin eats the security rating. He recovers to smash Vader over the head with the belt four or five times. We now get a close up of Vader's face and that blade job is gruesome. He drags Brett outside and just pounds him. Austin goes ball first onto the buckles. Vader takes a spill over the guardrail from a Brett Irish whip. Then they go toe-to-toe. This is pure all-action stuff. Undertaker tries to leverage Austin over the top rope, but he hits back with a diving clothesline as we see Sid watching on backstage. The camera just about catches Vader giving Brett a sharpshooter on the outside. Yes, you heard me correctly. It's a shame that a bit more wasn't made of that. Everyone now just punches the fuck out of each other because why the hell not? Fez pressing the ring by Austin on Vader and Vader is a mess. Brett with a super duper mega pile driver on Austin but he kicks out. Vader goes for the moonsault on Undertaker but he misses. Undertaker chokes Vader with a cord on the outside. He reverses. Austin can't quite throw Brett over the top rope. Choke hold into a pin by Vader on the Undertaker for two. Top rope over by Brett on Austin for two. O'Connor all by Austin for two. Now, very interestingly to note, Austin is very much legitimately favouring his left knee. And you know this isn't part of the storyline because the commentators do not mention it, but he's, he's now suddenly moving very, very gingerly. Uh, Brett with a Russian leg sweep on Vader for two. Undertaker and Austin battle over the top rope for a little bit. Then, seemingly out of nowhere, Brett just sort of fireman carries drops Austin over the top rope. Very, very gently. Austin and limps to the back. He has now been eliminated. Brett and Vader work on The Undertaker. Vader hits back on Brett and takes his mask off. Great visual there. Uh, Paul Bearer whacks Undertaker with, with the urn. And Brett superplexes Vader off the top rope. Wow. Brett goes for the sharpshooter, but Undertaker breaks it up in an elimination match. Okay. Austin is back to stomp on Brett. Vader teases a Vader bomb. Undertaker recovers. Low blows Vader over the top rope and he is eliminated. We are down to Undertaker versus Bret Hart and the crowd are eating us up with a knife, a fork, a spoon and a ladle. Massive chokeslam puts Bret down. Undertaker goes for, the, goes for the tombstone, but Austin's still trying to get in the ring with the officials just about stopping him. However, he reaches out and he pulls Bret off the tombstone. Undertaker punches Austin off the apron as Bret gets a roll up for two. Austin tries to get back in again. Undertaker knocks him off again. Brett ducks underneath, responds with a clothesline. Undertaker goes over the top rope, hits the floor, and Brett the Hitman Hart is WWF champion for the fourth time. He barely gets any time to celebrate, though, because here is it to stare him down before their title showdown tomorrow. And that is how the show finishes. <sighs> Bob. Well done. Thank you. you uh, the, the marathon reader is a uh, yeah, it's a kind of rite of passage, I think, when you've been presenting this show long enough. Um, this was tremendous. I mean, this I I can't remember the last WWF match I've enjoyed more than this. Um, this was like uh, I don't want to call it an ECW style match. It had a bit of an ECW type feel, like uncoordinated chaos. Like, you know, brawling around ringside, brawling into the crowd, four big guys that everyone's invested in, a match that matters. Um, this is Vader's best performance in 
at least two years, I would say. Uh, I don't think he did a lot at the end of that WCW run. Um, Undertaker looked like he belonged. And, and, and my a big takeaway when this match started was, as they do with the Royal Rumble when they get to the final four, they get one guy in each corner and they pan wide. And also they did this at the start. And I watched it and I went, Austin feels like he belongs. And... And then the match started, and I'm like, yeah, like, you know, he, he was, you, I, I, you'd have laughed me out of the room if I'd have said six months ago that he'd be doing Austin in a title match main event six months later. Not that he couldn't do it, but more just he wasn't there. Um, and it's testimony to the work they've done and to the match Bret Hart had with you about three or four months ago that he's now at that level where he doesn't feel out of place in this kind of match. Um, but this was fantastic. I mean, Vader's blade job in the early going really helped. That looked nasty. Um, and that really helped getting over. Apparently, he's one in better shape than he was a few months ago, and also he's been dealing with a lot of illness recently, which I think he's over now. Um, yeah, there were definitely some faults. It didn't all make sense. You know, things being broken up, people coming out later, etc., etc. There's a there's a great moment where Undertaker gets hit with the urn by Bearer, and Lorna goes, "Oh, look at that!" And then Ross goes, "Oh my God!" Oh uh, yeah, Bearer just hit Undertaker with the urn. Lorna like, "No, he didn't. I didn't see it." Um, it's like when Lorna, Lorna realised that he uh, he had to kind of reverse his call. Um, yeah, this was great. Um, you know, I. The only real question I had was whether Brett was the right guy to win it, given what was coming. Um, there's a separate discussion made about that. But this was a tremendously fun match to watch. I thought Vader looked like a star. Austin felt like he belonged. Undertaker hasn't been involved in a match that relevant, I don't think, since we started the show. And Brett's Brett. Um, really fun. I like how they present this all. The addition the over-the-top stipulation probably helped a little bit as much as just protecting everyone's egos and their spots. Um, but yeah, two massive thumbs up from me. One of the best matches, one of the most enjoyable matches I've seen in a long, long time, and one of the best as well. Yeah, yeah, Craig. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you sort of build up a, a card around one match, uh, as they did for Final Four, the one match really has to deliver, uh, and there's absolutely no denying this was just this is absolutely outstanding. I think you're going to struggle to look beyond this uh, when it comes to the end of the year for match of the year, and uh, yeah, everything everything about this match worked. I'm surprised you didn't get a stitch reading out all the action, considering how much there was in the previous match as well. But yeah, th- this was uh, this was absolutely sensational, and yeah, it just shows exactly what happens when you've got. Well, you've got several guys that fans are really, really into, and you just put them into a match and let them tell a story. And, uh, yeah, it's this is near flawless, uh, in my opinion, this match. Stitch is the best I could hope for. I could rattle that out. Yes, um, absolutely super-duper, underlined, bold, italic, three for three. This was absolutely fantastic. We use the phrase a lot, it's overused, but this was all action. The prob- occasional problem with multi-man matches is that you can have major selling issues. You just have two people working on each other while somebody else takes a breather on the outside. There was none of that here. There was no no lying around. There was no stupid double clothesline spots. I can't even remember a single rest hold. All four guys here just went pell-mell on each other for 25 minutes. No stopping, no nonsense. Just beating the merry crap out of each other because, quite simply, these are four big names who wanted to win the WWF title. How refreshing is that? Making a title seem number one important with your four biggest names currently on the roster wanting to win it, and they will do whatever it takes to do so. And it was wild, completely wild. It was believably wild as well. It wasn't 
because we don't go here with WWF very often. I got the sense they pulled out all the stops because all four characters knew this is the only way they were going to try to become champion. And yes, we've touched on it quite rightly so. I mean, everybody here deserves major credit. Vader was, is my number one, though. He worked like a Trojan in there. Easily his best performance. You could argue that he hasn't actually had very many opportunities to put in performances like this. Because he showed when he, when he wants to, when he's able to, there's no big man out there like him. This was his natural habitat and he went for it. And again, the right people need to have noticed this and realised that if you let Vader be Vader, then you've got something very, very special on your hands. So everybody worked hard. Uh, just before I finish, Bob, you were saying you're not sure that you would have put the title on Brett here, though. Am I right? Um, I mean, it, it might lead into a wider discussion as what they did both on this night on, on the, the on the Raw that followed. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, if... Yeah. I, I just don't know that Brett, like I don't you know that it helps that we just added like one extra rate. Brett's now a four-time champion. It's like, oh, one day, okay. I mean, all right, yeah, to a point, nobody nobody really benefits from a one-day reign. I certainly wouldn't have given it to Austin. And I suppose to a point, you've got to set up a match for the following night. Um, but my inclination would have been to give it Undertaker or Vader. Um you know, I think the, the crowd were all over Undertaker when he eliminated Vader. Uh, I don't think they'd have been disappointed one jot if they'd have had Undertaker win the match. Um, and I think it would have made more sense because, given I, I, I'm fairly certain what they had planned, what they have planned for WrestleMania now, they had planned at the time of the show, and so it perhaps would have made more sense just to have had Austin of course Brett and then set up the match at WrestleMania. And I know they wanted to push an angle on Raw, or a series of angles that, that furthered that, and they did, and we'll come to that. And then Undertaker win the match, and then you don't necessarily even have to have Sid win the title tomorrow. You could have done anything you liked. Um, but yeah, I, I it just felt... You know, I, nothing was ideal with the viewpoint that Sid was going to win it. Raw, is this our Saturday or Sunday? I can't remember. This was Sunday. It was the next night. It, you know, there was there was no ideal scenario for anyone on the basis that Sid was going to win the title the next night. But when it was, I don't know that Brett was the ideal answer um, because I, I, I get to the end of the roar and think, well, why? You know, I know Brett's occupied by Austin, but you know, shouldn't he care about the title enough to want to rematch against Sid? I don't know. It just, it feels, nothing feels good in this scenario, and they had about three days to work it all out. But I don't know if this was necessarily the best solution they could have come up with. I think, well, quite least somebody had to win the title. It, I, I think Brett, in this, a one-day title reign is never ideal. We'll talk about it a bit more in a second when we get to the, the Raw. A one-day title reign is never ideal. I think Brett's tough on enough that it doesn't really hurt him. I think if you give any of these other guys another one-day title reign, especially for Austin and Vader, would have been their first championship and The Undertaker's only ever held about for six days in the past anyway. Maybe it would do them a bit more damage. I don't know. So somebody had to win it and uh, the crowd certainly popped big when Brett did. I just want to mention a conceptual problem I had and that was, you seem to like it, Bob. The over-the-top rope stipulation for me took a tiny bit away from the match. You've got your four biggest stars here and in the end you're winning the WWF title by a fireman's carry over the top rope somebody else doing a low blow and a clothesline. The crowd, the crowd, yeah, but the crowd reacted, you know, that's, isn't that the whole thing? Like, we, we all, we all said it was a great match. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know oh, yeah. that, 
you know, you I don't know that them trying to... Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe you could have. But I don't know that you improved this match by having pinfalls or submissions in a way that they would try and protect those guys. Uh, once they'd gone to the, the, the three-elimination version of the match, I think this was the best way out. And I don't think it detracted from the match at all. If anything, it it made it better because it was a lot more decisive and a lot more clear. Whereas if they'd have tried to have gone with these a series of fuck finishes, which is probably what it would have been. I don't know that it would have worked half as well. I think it, you know, if anything, the a fuck finish would have made more sense with Brett having the title for one day, I suppose. But I don't think it took away from the action. I think if we're if we're sat here praising this match to the hills, I don't think the the addition of the stipulation can be seen as a negative. It was extremely decisive, I'll give you that. I just wanted to see, just, just, just one pimp. If you're going to say pimples and submissions count, at least give us one, is what I would say on that. But I do think, and you said it in your, in your wrap-up, you're absolutely correct, there are egos here that did need protecting, let's be honest about that. It, sometimes you just got to do the job, man. Uh, Craig, anything more to say? No, it's just egos. I think it's just yeah. characters as well. Yeah, but would, would you argue with some of these guys? Well, both, 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 yeah. Yeah. Anything more to add on this, uh, this undeniably great match, Craig? Uh, no, uh, if I can briefly come in on the, the point that Bob was making about the if about who was the right, right champion. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it, a factor in, in this whole decision is the idea of being able to give Raw, which has recently gone to two hours, some big moments early on to try and boost ratings. Do you think that could be an actual factor in the decision? And oh, I think that's something that. Yeah, yeah I, sorry, we kind of cut, cut your claims explaining what of us to disagree, I think, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm glad we reached consensus quite early on, but yeah, no, I, I just think that, that maybe in years gone by that wouldn't have played in, or if there hadn't been uh, WCW, but they, instead they were able to transition the champion and uh, really make uh, set up a big angle for WrestleMania, so I mean, you can sort of do the rights and wrongs, and but the sort of ends certainly justify the means. Absolutely, we will talk about that a bit more in a second. Yes, yeah, so a, a, a great, great main event, we're all agreed, and I recommend you check this main event out. Uh, Bob, your thoughts on In Your House Final Four on the whole, and a uh, score rating out of 10. I think if you just sit down and watch the show, you, you might be a little bit flatter on it, but I think when you contextualise, well, what went on in the, you know, in the few days leading up to it, and not necessarily affected the card, because I don't think Sean was going to be beyond this card, or Sid for that matter. So the card was unchanged. Um, but when you clarify that this was clearly presented as a one-match show and clearly built as a one-match show, um, the the one match was fantastic. I mean, everything else is really, really drab. But you know, sometimes you can overlook that. Uh, I'll give this a seven out of ten. Great. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree. Uh, it was a seven for me as well. Uh, maybe uh, heading straight, maybe up to seven and a half. But yeah, a seven, which which isn't bad considering how scathing we were about the the first couple of matches. But it does just show how how strong the the tag team match was, which was just action packed, and was somehow managed to even be eclipsed in terms of action with the main event. I'd, if, in terms of a recommendation, I, I would probably just urge everyone to watch from the tag team match onwards, obviously. But yeah, I, I don't think you're. Uh, I don't think you can be disappointed with either of the the two matches in the grand scheme of things. I can't look past how rubbish, for different reasons, a lot of the pretty much everything in the first three matches were. So I'm not quite as uh, enthusiastic enthusiastic about the event as a whole as you two are. The, the final two matches and that golden main event do drag it up a huge amount. So I'm going to go for a six on this one, but I'm with you, Craig. 
you would miss nothing at all if you ignore the first hour of this. You, you Just as you hear Rule Britannia, you sit down, then you're going to get 40, 45 minutes of some great wrestling for starters and a worthy title match between big stars on a pay-per-view wanting to win a big title. And WWF need to be sure going forward that a lot of their pay-per-views actually address this point, making your main events seem important. People want to be in them because they want to win the title. So in your house final four, as you say, Bob, it played itself as a one-match show, but that one match did everything I wanted it to and a whole lot more. I recommend that one match without any qualification at all. The event itself, I'm going for a six out of ten. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've just uh, been informed. King, you've got a phone call. Well, apparently there's a, a representative of the of ECW on the phone that would like to speak to you. you got to be kidding me. No, I'm not kidding. I'm telling you the truth. That's what For they're telling what? me. For what? Well, talk to him. Hello? Unlike Vince McMahon, I don't need to hide behind representatives. This is the owner, operator, and executive producer of Extreme Championship Wrestling, King Paul E. Paul Heyman, dangerously. Call me what you like, but see me next Monday at the Manhattan Center along with all the athletes at Extreme Championship Wrestling who, as uneducated as you may be, you claim never to have heard of. Oh, wait a minute, Paul E., are you telling me that uh, you're going to accept my little challenge, huh? You're going to bring some of your big-name stars down and visit us superstars next week at the Manhattan Center? Is that what you're telling me? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Paul E., you're going to bring some of the big boys like uh, the Blue Me or maybe the Sandman? You ever heard of that, huh? Yeah. Sandman, yeah, or Sabu. Maybe, just maybe, you'll have a whole different respect for Extreme Championship Wrestling. I have absolutely zero respect for you, ECW, and all of the misfits and has-beens and no-talent bums that are in ECW. You understand that? Laura, if you would let the police and the security let us in next week, and as long as the neighborhood watch doesn't have to be informed that you're in the neighborhood, I'll see you face-to-face with the ECW stars alongside of me next week live in the Manhattan Center. Yeah, come on down. Hey, come on down. You probably won't recognize the place because the Manhattan Center is an arena, not a bingo hall where you used to perform it. We open up presumably what's called Monday Raw Monday on February the 17th with a cold open live in Nashville as we appear to begin with Sid challenging for the WWF title against Bret Hart. Before the match can start, Austin hits the ring and goes after Bret. Sid lays in some shots on Austin who responds by taking out his knee. Austin eventually gets led away but due to Sid's knee injury, the match is postponed for now at least. Our first match is Mark Merrow against Savio Vega. Sable kicks an interference, JC Ice away from Mero, then the nation surround her and the ref calls for the bell. Before they can strike, Ahmed runs in with his trusty 2x4, causing the heels to scarper. JR interviews Brett, he says wherever he is, Austin will stick his nose in his business, but he can't let it worry him, Brett isn't afraid of anybody. Rocky Maivere defends the Intercontinental title against Leaf Cassidy. Cassidy does what he's there for, which gives Rocky a good match for falling foul to the devastating shoulder breaker. The King grabs a fan's ECW rule sign and proceeds to slag off the company. 99% of wrestling fans have never even heard of them, he says. They are merely a home for has-beens and misfits who couldn't make it in the WWF. 
He hates ECW so much that he invites them to Raw in Manhattan next week to see if they've really got anything. Goldust and Marlena are out in the ring for a promo. Marlena confirms that although they play a lot of games, Goldust is the man, and more of a man than Helmsley will ever be. Hunter comes down to the ring and attacks Goldust, including a pedigree. Marlena then slaps Helmsley to a huge pop, but that woman from yesterday jumps her and shakes her like a ragdoll before getting escorted away. The Headbangers take on the Hardy Boys. During this, Farouk cuts an inset promo calling Ahmed Johnson a fraud by claiming to be from the streets, whilst in reality living in a swanky penthouse in Houston. Well, as we found out a couple of months ago, he lost it, but there we go. He challenges Ahmed to a Chicago street fight at WrestleMania, and the Bangers win with the powerbomb leg drop combo on Jeff. The WF title match is scheduled to start now, but once again the contest is curtailed. This time Austin beats on Brett from behind before he can even get through the curtain. Sid comes back to get involved and then officials, including Vince McMahon who's not on commentary tonight, eventually manages to break all three men up. Backstage, Gorilla says that unlike other people, we don't tease you with stuff and then not deliver, and not particularly well the reference to Nitro not giving you uh, matches that they want. The title matches will happen tonight. Match even. Flash Funk faces Owen Hart. We then get an inset call from Paul Lee, a quote representative of ECW is on the phone. He accepts Lawless challenge and will bring the ECW athletes with him. Heyman will gladly get face to face with Lawler next week. The match between Funk and Hart is very good. Bulldog clocks Funk with the slammy, allowing Owen to get the pin after a spinning heel kick. Helmsley faces off against Bart Gunn before Helmsley says he doesn't know the identity of the woman who attacked Marlena. Godless interferes and chases Helmsley to the crowd and Gunn wins by countout. Dr. James Andrews updates us on HBK's condition. Apparently the injury relates to a problem he had with his ACL five years ago. Sean will be rehabbed without surgery and reassessed in four to six weeks. And now, finally... The WWF title match between Sid and Bret Hart begins. We come back out of our review of the 17th of February Raw with the title match, which has been teased twice throughout the show, with Bret Hart defending against Sid. It looked like it was going to kick off the show before Austin interfered. It was then scheduled for the middle of the show, when Austin interfered, and we eventually had it as our main event for the last 15 minutes. I'm going to take you through that match now, play by play, and we're going to have a chat about it and the title situation. Sid against the defending Bret Hart for the WWF title on the wall. They lock up, and Sid takes the early advantage with his corn-cutting punches in the corner. Bret quickly hits back with a Russian leg sweep, but Sid cuts them off again. A big short on clothesline sends Bret down. Sid continues bringing the mega punches, but Brett fights it off into a backbreaker. A shot to the balls, followed by a second rope elbow. Here's Lawler on commentary. Come on, Sid, get up and make him cry. Brett then works on the back of it, like he did it in your house in its time, but thankfully for not as long. Sid switches to punches to Brett's back, and a backbreaker, and gets a count of two. Here's JR on commentary. Sid has simplified this matchup, if you don't say. Punches and a drag to the centre of the ring, of all things, get two. Brett kicks Sid in the knees, then wrenches the left. Try again. Brett kicks Sid in the knees and wrenches the left leg on the ring post. Now this is very important. He then puts the figure of four leg lock on with Sid's legs around and between the ring post. So I describe that he drags Sid along. He hooks Sid's left leg on the top of his right, so he's about to do a figure of four with the ring post in between them, 
Brett itself holds Brett himself holds it down with his own head resting against the arena floor. I've never ever seen him do that move on television before. It's one of those things which is probably completely safe, but it looks devastating. And it must be said, pretty heelish too. Fantastic move, good stuff, Brett. Adding more stuff to your arsenal at the age of thirty-nine. Bravo. <laughs> I'm serious. Six moves to do, man. We then get a break. JR said he wouldn't be having a break, but oh, whatever. The two are hammering each other. It's about 50-50 until Sid wins the break, wins it with a super massive clothesline. He hits a leg drop and he gets two two counts. He then goes up to the second rope to hit a leg drop, just about, and that gets two as well. Sid calls for the chokeslam, but Brett scrapped his way out of it. He dives at Sid near the ropes, but Sid moves and Brett beats it. Brett recovers and leverages Sid over the top rope. Here comes Austin. But Sid, yes, Sid, takes out Austin before he can get involved. Brett gets back into the ring, and as God is my witness, as they say, Sid comes back in over the top rope with a sunset flip. Move set, people. Brett rolls that into the sharpshooter. Austin recovers, and he hits Brett with a chair outside of the ref's view. Sid recovers, stands up, hits the powerbomb, and he becomes WWF champion for the second time. He leads the crowd in a big Sid chance and he celebrates, but then here comes the gong. The lights flicker, they come up, the Undertaker is in the ring. The two go eye to eye as our WrestleMania main event is seemingly settled. Your thoughts on this match and the title change, Craig first. Yeah, I thought, I thought this was uh, this was a pretty uh, pretty good match from Sid. I don't think I've ever said that before. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed this. You, you're right about the the figure four in the on the corner. That not only does it look devastating, but that's a proper heel move. So uh, it's sort of interesting character development from uh, Brett as well. Um, I, I can sort of I'm, I'm not a huge fan of uh, as many title changes in such a short period of time, uh, and the title really is being used to sort of advance storylines. Uh, but yeah, no, I I, I thought it was fine. Uh, Sid's over uh, another thing I didn't think I'd say we now seem to have a clear picture of what's going to headline Wrestlemania and we've also got a, a huge grudge match between Austin and Bret Hart Wrestlemania uh, 13 shaping up quite nicely and yeah this was a good match uh, end of a good draw and uh, like I said uh, uh, briefly earlier on it gives it gives the early episodes of the two hour all some, some big big moments Bob your thoughts on the match and the title change yeah, the match. I mean, you know, it wasn't a great match, but you know, there's it. You, you can't certainly can't deny Sid trying when he busts out a second rope leg rock drop in a sunset flip. You know, <laughs> that's uh, that's that's code for Sid knows this is a big one. Um, and yeah, like you know, it wasn't necessarily a great match, but it, it certainly works. It's certain the, the drama, if anything, outdid anything that they were often doing in the ring. I really like the, 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 the turnbuckle figure four as well. That was really strong. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, re- really, really pleased at how the, how the match came across. Um, as for the title change, I, mean, I, I guess it's a wider discussion of, you know, Shawn Michaels was a champion Thursday lunchtime, and by Monday, by Tuesday morning, it was Sid, having gone from vacant to Brett and then to Sid. It's a lot of noise, but it's, you know, you know, not every title reign has to be long. In theory, the, the, there is there is nothing to suggest that length of a title reign makes you any more or less likely to retain it. Um, and I know you know you don't want to do it too often because people become desensitised to them and one thing you want to 
one way of drawing in wrestling is the idea that it's anticipating a title change, and they happen to often people anticipate them. That's all fair enough, but occasionally it doesn't hurt to do it. I mean, a couple of years ago, two and a, two and a bit years ago, they went from, what, bread to Backlund to diesel. True. Now, okay, Backlund was fodder. I don't think Brett's in that spot. Um, but, like, it, it can work. Um, it's just, it, it's whether... You know, you, you, if anything, Sean pulling back opened up a lot of different opportunities. And the big question, I think, for all of us is whether we feel that Sid and Undertaker in the title match and Brett and Austin is necessarily the best setup. Because I kind of feel like there's a, a lot of different ways they could have gone, um, some of which don't involve doing Brett and Austin at. Um, at WrestleMania, I mean, I, I'm, my inclination would say the better thing to do might be to have Brett against Sid and Austin against Undertaker at WrestleMania, have them both win, and then get the Brett and Austin maybe at SummerSlam. I don't know whether that's stronger. I don't know who's going to win out of Brett and Austin, but that feels like a, a slightly weird matchup. And for best we could tell, as of the week before, they weren't going to do it. So I don't necessarily know that you need to move that because I now wonder whether your main event's going to be quite a flat title match between Sid and Undertaker. I'll get to that in a sec because as well as I'll do our, our mini WrestleMania preview here, I will talk about so what I thought about this match mainly because I want to get on record that it was much better than that awful match they had at its time which wasn't far off my worst of 1996. Brett just kicking Sid in the back for 15 minutes, no thanks. This match was only about 12 minutes in length anyway and uh, they got to where they wanted to go quite quickly. Bob, you're right. Sid stepped up in this one. Top rope, leg drop, sunset flip. Yep, <laughs> this guy can go. Well, he can't really, but uh, he was trying, bless him. Uh, I think he knew he was winning the title, and obviously when he won the title against Sean at Survivor Series, that was a great match. So he probably thought, yes, if I'm going to be taking the belt here, I've got to at least try and do something. And he did, and Brett was the perfect foil for him in that respect. And it's not as if they just had, I don't know, to pick an idea out of the air from nowhere. Sid just go out and give him a power bomb and win the match in eight seconds. Not that that would ever happen anywhere. <laughs> there goes a good competitive match between a professional, ever the professional, took the chair shot, took the power bomb, moves on somewhere else, and they got to where they wanted to go. And to, to me, this does pretty much answer the question that Shawn Michaels himself probably asked four days before that he would have been dropping the title to Sid in the original plan on Thursday or Thursday. So they've got to where they wanted to go. So, yes, yeah, so you, you mentioned it there, Bob. So, Craig, I'll come to you on this, this first one quickly as regards WrestleMania. It looks as though we are going to be getting for the title first. We'll talk about this. Sid defending against Undertaker. Now, as far as I can tell, they've never actually had a beef with each other. There are only three more Raws to go before WrestleMania. Next week's Raw is going to be taken up with the European Championship tournament anyway. So, is this the match they actually need to start building very quickly, especially as it's for the title? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, it, it doesn't carry itself as, oh, this will be excellent in the ring. We don't really do much, need to do much for it. So, I think, yeah, they, they need to sort of start getting something uh, in the bag in terms of this. But, I mean, it's t- two big men. So, I mean, th- th- it's, it's going to sort of be of interest. But, yeah, they, they really need to sort of throw something at it in the in the coming weeks for, for it to really have a big sort of big match WrestleMania feel. Should it even be? Uh, go on, Bob, you go, you go. 
did it not feel a bit arbitrary that Sid won the match, Undertaker walked out, and that was it? Like, you know, did, was there, was there no, no, nothing else? Did Brett, like, did Brett not think, actually, wait a minute, that's my title? Did Vader not, you know, like, Diesel's still owed a title shot. I mean, I'm, you know, Diesel still has a win over Sid. As far as I'm aware, that character's dead now. Um, but yeah, like, uh, did, did that not feel a bit weird that Undertaker just walked out and was like, oh, that's a WrestleMania main event? If I'd have walked out, would I have been in the WrestleMania main event? That's my question. <laughs> it's it's one that we'll just have to ponder, Bob. But yes, no, it, it is a it is a fair point. It, but I mean, the, the, there's not really much much else uh, as as an option. But uh, yeah, that uh, you, you do raise some points about how they've booked the the WrestleMania main event, which I sort of supports the theory that they really need to do some work to to give it a sort of uh, a feeling. What three weeks time or however long it is for WrestleMania. Is Sid Undertaker for the title or not? Is Sid Undertaker a main event? I don't see them going epic on this one. There's no, I do not want to see Sid and Undertaker go at it for 20 minutes. But I rather fear that's where, if this is going to be the WrestleMania main event, that's what they're going to do. Should, should that much even go on last? Craig? I think, oh, anybody, anybody. I, I think you can make it work. Like, I think they're both over enough, you know, and, and this isn't a promotion that's desperate for work, Craig. They're both over enough where it can work. But yeah, I, I think if they're gonna, they're gonna give this a championship WrestleMania length main event, they're gonna need a lot of smoke and mirrors to get through it. Perhaps they'll make, give it some kind of stipulation. That might, you know, kind of. I think like it a, needs one. I think it really, really needs needs one. Even if it's just a simple, like, a no DQ so you can have a bit of a plunder fest, I think it needs one, desperately. Yeah, I'd agree. Craig? The the question about it going on last, I, I think so. I mean, I think the Austin uh, Bret Hart programme's a lot stronger, obviously, but I don't think Austin's yet quite ready to headline WrestleMania, uh, and I am a bit of a fan of the WWF title match going on last uh, at Mania, so yeah, I think uh, if Sid is still a champion, because I mean, we've had three title changes in a week and there's still three weeks to go, uh, that yeah, the, he should, it should be the Undertaker him in the main event. And Craig, does the Undertaker win the title at WrestleMania? I, I, I don't see sort of said to be in the long-term plans, uh, but not necessarily that I see The Undertaker being a, a long-term uh, champion either. So I, I would anticipate The Undertaker would win, but I don't envisage a terribly lengthy reign for him either. But um, I guess this is the question, isn't it? Like, you know, it, it sort of makes sense as a WrestleMania title match, but neither guy really makes sense as champion coming out of it. Um... Yes, he probably does on the basis that I think they used Sid as a transitional champion last time and they're probably going to use him again. I mean, they're, they're kind of winging this, aren't they, really? Let's be honest. Um, and then it sets up Undertaker versus the winner of Bret and Austin. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I, that's better than Sid against the winner of Bret and Austin. I can yeah, go I along that. with that. Um, and then, yeah, you can bring back Sean whenever you like, really, whenever he's ready. Um, into that mix and you can do Sean and Undertaker or Sean and Brett or Sean and Austin all of which work so yeah I think Undertaker is is the least worst of the two options but I don't think either is particularly strong I think Undertaker wins he wins fairly decisively and they give him his long service medal WWF Championship run as I said earlier he's been with the company for six years he has held the WWF title for six days which 
strikes me as mad, really, but there you go. Although you could argue justifiably that his character isn't really about winning championships, it's about taking souls. But I do think, I do think he does, especially given his performance in the Final Four, where he absolutely brought it for the first time. Well, you could argue, if you want to, if you want to go back looking, the last year or so, his matches against Mankind, his in-ring performances have been light years ahead of where they were for the previous five years. So he probably does deserve some sort of title reign getting the big uh, the big WrestleMania moment, so to speak. I wouldn't have a problem with that. I think Sid's... I don't think Sid stays around because he, he serves his purpose. I think maybe go a full-on heel turn with him, perhaps. Maybe he's maybe he does need that if they want to keep him around for a little while longer. Then there are other places you can go with other matches too on the undercard whilst Undertaker main events. Yes, I would not have a problem with Undertaker winning if that's where they choose to go. Um, just to segue into our... I believe it's going to be a double main event... What do we think of Brett v. Austin being a submission match? Because I think they changed their mind on this one. When they were talking about it on Raw earlier on, on the 24th, I believe, they called it a no-holds-barred match. Then they changed their tune twice, and they got the graphic up calling it a submission match. Bob, Steve Austin, submission match. No, I'm struggling. Uh, well, isn't it the... Bret Hart trying to win an Ironman match without an impact finisher, right? Against the guy that wants... Yeah, it's the same kind of deal, isn't it? Um, and you can always give him one. I mean, he had the million-dollar dream, didn't he? I mean, not That's quite true. very good. That's true. Yeah, good um, and uh, did you saw a submission in WCW? I, I'm just... I'm muddling names now. Was that the... His finisher in WCW was the, was the stun gun, I think. Wasn't there like a Hollywood and Vine, like, crepe, great Vine of a leg submission? I mean, you can give him anything, oh, right? It doesn't really matter. He's just got to look you give him a new one. Um, you know, I mean, right, three weeks isn't ideal to, to build that up. Um, but, yeah, they... But he is the heel, so that makes sense. Like, if, if Austin was the babyface, the question would be, how can he beat the heel in a match where he doesn't have a move? But Austin's the heel, so in the next three weeks, I suspect the best thing to do would be to have him win three different squash matches with three different submission moves, all the same one, one or the other. Either get over one move or get over the idea that Austin's prepared. Either way, it'll work. It's fine. Um, you know, it's not like last year where Brett was trying to win an Ironman match 4-3 with no kind of finishing move. That would have been a bigger problem. Craig? It, it, it does seem a sort of... It's, it seems strange that with, with it being a, a type of match that favours the, the baby face rather than the heel, uh, it would sort of it, it would play better if uh, Austin was the sort of submission guy and Brett wasn't, and it was all the uh, odds were stacked against him. But he, he did, like it's been said, he did use the uh, million dollar dream in uh, WWF, not that I think we really want to spend too much time talking about that, but he, so he has got some uh, submission moves, but it, it is a bit of a bit of an odd fit. I, I think the sort of stipulation of a sort of false count anywhere or world brawl uh, would uh, would be a wee bit more uh, suitable for for Austin. Uh, would work for Brett as well. I think it would be a sort of a better match. I'm just sort of thinking of some of the submission matches we've seen in the past with sort of Bret Hart and uh, Bob Backlund, and it didn't sort of really do that much. But you would anticipate this would be better. But uh, yeah, it doesn't really do much for me. The concept. I'd rather it was a sort of false count anywhere, world brawl type of thing. At least we're not going to have Roddy Piper screaming "What do you say?" into the microphone this time. We can guarantee that. 
Um, one thing I will say about that? <laughs> small mercy. I'm not sure why this is even a submission match. It's not as if they've been trading submission holes with each other. They fought each other once in that great match at Survivor Series. Brett won that one by pinfall. Okay, Steve Austin was trying to put him in the million dollar dream. But uh, he won by pinfall. All their brawls with each other since then have just been them just beating the hell out of each other. I'm not quite sure whether submission. <laughs> But the mission thing has even been brought into play to make it a valid, uh, a valid thing. I think it makes not. sense. I think it. You know, I'm not so sure whether it's the best decision, but I think it makes sense. It's the idea that Brett won the previous match cleanly, so kind of has some leverage in this idea of a, a secondary match. Has a bit of credit that he can use to make a call on this kind of stipulation. I think that makes sense. Um. And, yeah, I'm just still struggling to work out a way where Austin wins decisively. Um, submission match or not, I can't, you know, in an all-match, I couldn't see Austin just hitting a stunner on Brett beating him. Um, but it was to see how they, what the finish is for that. I, I don't really have a good gauge on what that would be. No, that's very, very true, because my original su- suggestion is a few months ago, I think I made it back on the, on a, maybe the October pod, is that these two would eventually face each other again for the, se- for the second time at SummerSlam this year. Over the, they've certainly brought it forward a good five months. Obviously, the Sean thing has had a major say in that. And I just hope they're ready for this match. Not that I'm not looking forward to seeing these two go at it again, because I loved the Survivor Series match. I thought it was wonderful. And I have no doubt here again they're going to absolutely rip it up. The finish is going to be really important, though. I'm with you. So what, why my inclination was that they should split them and keep them apart. Brett can beat Sid, Austin can beat Undertaker, and then you can do that big match at SummerSlam and then work it out. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, I thought that's, that's the kind of place where, where we w- would have been going. Because I do not, th- well, I think we know for certain that Brett Austin WrestleMania was not the original plan. I, I'm not particularly complaining that we've got there because I've no doubt that these two get the chance to mesh again. They're going to give us an excellent, an excellent, excellent match. I'm just a little concerned that A, the dynamic is off, and B, Austin almost has to win this particular match. Yet uh, I'm still not convinced he's going to. If Brett goes 2 0 up, I just hope that doesn't hurt Austin too much, but we will see. I'm very, very much looking forward to the match. We're live at the Manhattan Center in New York on the 24th. It starts with the gold wins against the new Blackjacks of Barry Windham and Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Typically, a we want Sandman chant grows up. Bradshaw lariats Phineas, Windham puts him. In pins in, but Phineas has his foot on the ropes. Mike Kyoda still counts the three, and the result stands, so Henry slops him afterwards. The ECW invasion begins as the Eliminators storm the ring and hit a total elimination on the stagehand. Heyman grabs the mic and tells Lawler, Your challenge has been accepted. ECW are in the house. Then introduces little Guido, and here come the BWO. They're taking over. This is just so bizarre. Heyman now has taken a seat at the commentary table for Guido against Stevie Ray. Thank you, Vince. Heyman calls the BWO a revolutionary concept. Raven Raven comes out to observe the match, which is a good contest, won by Stevie with the best superkick in the business. Hoggy Top Man referees an arm wrestling match between Sammy and Marlena. Just let that one sink in for a minute. Sunny completely rips off Rick Rude's stick beforehand. She offers the injured Marlena the chance to forfeit, who turns it down. When it eventually begins, Marlena's about to win before Sunny throws powder in her eyes. Savio Vega then makes a pass at Marlena, but Goldust makes the save. Savio and Goldust now have their scheduled match. 
Crush interferes the inevitable DQ. Newcomer Miguel Perez comes to Goldust's rescue. Lawler interviews the world's most dangerous man as they've been pushing all evening. UFC's Ken Shamrock, who's in attendance, sat in the front row. Lawler pretends to be a long-time friend of Shamrock, but of course the latter has never met him. Way to make Shamrock seem like a big deal. Haven is back on the mic to introduce Mikey Whitbreck, who's facing Taz. Sangu climbs off, climbs onto the R of the Raw sign, then kind of dives and sort of slips onto some of Taz's proteges, and Taz wins with the Taz mission. The head of the bangers are against a big surprise who turned out to be the Legion of Doom. Big pop for the Warriors. Large Nitro sucks and Bischoff sucks chants go up and Vince stays quiet during those. The match goes to retain double count out but the Legion do get to hit the Doomsday device afterwards. A very soppy Shawn Michaels video package which sets some sugary tune called Tell Me A Lie as this probably won't do him any favours. Hayden introduces Devon Dudley and his opponent, the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer. Dreamer brings the weapons early in this one, which leads to Lawler breaking out his extremely crappy wrestling. Devon uses Beulah as a shield, but she kicks him in the balls. Tommy wins with a chair-assisted DDT. Ray jumps Tommy so he, the Dudleys can do a double team on him. The Salman waddles in though and then wipes out the heels with chair shots. Afterwards, Heyman tries to get at Lawler. They've been bickering on commentary all match, but ECW wrestlers and Vince separate them. Todd Pettengill interviews Ken Shamrock, who's so excited he's standing on his toes. He calls Undertaker to beat Sid at WrestleMania, and the forthcoming match between Austin and Brett will be too close to call. A main event is Farouk against The Undertaker. Farouk challenges Shamrock to get into the ring. Shamrock says he will be happy to do so, but then it doesn't happen. The match never really gets going. The dead man knows sells a pile driver than any nation if they to be run in. The Legion of Doom come out to help, and they see off the heels as we go off the air. Dreamer. Oh, they're doing some wrestling, McMahon. Yes, The Undertaker against Farouk. But right now, Tommy Dreamer against Devon Dudley. And this is a fight of ultimate proportions as the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer. You said anyone can get extreme. I doubt very seriously that the court jester sitting next to you could ever be too extreme. Hey, let me just tell you this, Paul Dangerously. No, you will never no, tell, yeah, me let me tell you this. You might have been in wrestling. I've been in wrestling. You know what? I've been in wrestling for about 20 years. For about 20 years. And I've never on. been ashamed to tell anybody oh. that I was a wrestler. You understand that? I, when I left my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee this morning, I was in New York City. Let me tell you something. The mayor, the mayor of Memphis, Tennessee, Mayor Harrington, was in the airport flying to Kansas City. He looked at me and smiled and said, Hey, King, if you ever need a tag team partner, call me. I've never been ashamed. <laughs> Of being a professional wrestler, but right now when I look at this crap in the ring, and when I look at an Next idiot like you say. sitting right Next there, words you say. shut up, shut up, yes, yes. Yeah. Why you when I look at you, up. and when I look at this, this crap, it's the ECW extremely crappy wrestling. I'm ashamed to be associated with it. You're not associated with it. You're not associated with it. Just chill out, alright? This is the last match we're going to have here that is a tonight. You're welcome. Devon Dudley, ladies and gentlemen. 
That's you're right. what I call a jock sniffer. You like to be around athletes because you're not one yourself. Only thing athletic about you are your stinking feet. You understand that? And all you know, you ain't trying to up under so-called athletes and try to make money off of them. You know, while we're being extreme, I have no problem sticking your jock, but I'm afraid you oh, yeah, yeah, Is that right? That's right. Is that right? Great oh. comeback. Wait a minute. Any of that, ladies and gentlemen? You know, stop telling me to wait a minute. Standing I've had it with him. He invited us. Oh, you accept on, it. Please. Come Standing on, this is right it. now, ladies and gentlemen, we have... ECW. Hey, how do you know what's going on? Huh? Right, gentlemen. It's the Sandman! It's the Sandman! The Sandman is in the Manhattan Center! The who? The Sandman! The icon of extreme championship wrestling! And we're about to get hardcore! And it, well, it yeah. looks like the Sandman... <laughs> Looks like the Sandman got hardcore, Paulie. What do you think about that idiot now, huh? I don't think anything about it. I love this. I love Bubber Ray Dudley and Devon Dudley showing America how extreme these CW can be. Oh. And, uh, it's like things are getting a little yeah, bit out of hand. over with. Oh! What do you got to say now, huh? What? I say the same thing I said before. It's crap. It's crap, crap and you're crap. You understand that? You know, thanks a lot. Thank you for letting me plug my attention. Oh, yeah. Why don't you take a hike? You and all the rest of your bums. You take a hike. You know what? You know what? You have more cojones than anybody ever gave you credit for. Why don't you take a hike? Get out of here. Hey, hey, come on. Hey, wait. No, wait a minute. And that brings us to our last discussion point uh, of uh, the month in which we are talking about the new signing of UFC's Ken Shamrock, who looks as though this has been confirmed at the time of recording. He will actually be the guest referee for the aforementioned Austin v. Brent submission match at WrestleMania. Uh, Bob, you're very much our resident UFC man. What do you think of this particular acquisition? What can the WWF do with him? What should they do with him? I mean, yeah, you want to talk about available pay-per-view draws in North America. Like, most of the actual wrestlers are tied up now. Yeah, if you're the WWF, most of the guys you want are in WCW. Um, and so, what you've got left is... Shamrock, who's done some wrestling before, and Dan Seven, who I think they might be trying to talk with as well, over, I think Seven, they're looking at a different deal. I don't think Seven's looking about, you know, becoming a solely a pro wrestler. Um, but Shamrock's a guy that's drawn a lot of pay-per-view buys headlining USC shows in the last couple of years, with a significantly smaller footprint going into these shows, drawing kind of numbers comparative to WWF pay-per-view buy rates headlining shows. How much of that is a crossover and how much of that is people intrigued by the idea of shoot fighting or just people that have been drawn across and how many of those they can draw back, I don't know. Um, but Shamrock comes in as a guy with a big name. Uh, whether he can work an in-ring style that suits the gimmick they're going to give him is an interesting question. But he's wrestled before, you know. Um, so it's not like he's a complete novice. This isn't Mark Henry all over again. Let's say that. Um, We'd better but, not be. 
It better not be. Uh, well, they're paying Shamrock a million dollars a year. It better not be. Um, but yeah, this is a major signing. It's a guy that, you know, was still a big deal in UFC, a guy that probably should have fought on the previous card, probably would have been fighting on the next one. But at 33 years old and, you know, in a in a sport where age like that is going to catch up with you very, very quickly, it's taken a, a much more secure decision. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a it's a major signing. We know he was talking with various places, including UFC, including New Japan, including WCW. So in that sense, it's a big get. It's just whether they can present him correctly, and that's going to be the big challenge. Um, and I think, and we'll discuss the ECW stuff from uh, the, the Raw, the final bit in a minute, but I think... On that show, in amongst all the ECW stuff, the presentation of Shamrock was really ropey. Like, you get Vince McMahon coming out and say, oh, that's Ken Shamrock. It's like, just sat in the front row. It's like, what? Like, Shamrock was sat there the entire time. He had to sit through an arm wrestling contest between Sonny and Marlena. He had to sit through a Savio Vega match, which, you know, it, if anything, I'd have just, if I was Shamrock, I'd have just walked out at that point. Then they sent Lawler over for him for a, a really bad comedy interview. Then, worst of all, they sent Todd Pettengill in. Like, if, if I mean, I was, you know, if I'd have been me, I'd have just choked out Pettengill there and then. Like, that would have been the most effective way of doing it. And then they had these quite, you know, floaty comments about Austin and Brett Maynard. Also, it looks like he's going to he's gonna be involved in that in some way, shape, or form. And then he kind of got involved a bit with Farouk. I, presentation is a thing. I don't think they got that right. But they've got themselves a big star. They've got themselves a guy that's very capable. They've got themselves a guy that's very, very charismatic as well. Let's not forget that. Um, yeah, in some ways a very, very big get, but I think one night in the jury's still out. But ultimately, I, I think if they get it right from when he steps in the ring onwards, I don't think this is going to matter, but this wasn't the best start. Why didn't they just have somebody, even if it was Todd Pettengill, just introduce him in the ring, say, before the main event? They can still do the thing there where Farouk jaws with him. That gets him involved with a, a fairly large-scale name straight off the bat. Why did I just don't understand why they had to have to do what the Jerry Lawler comedy thing? Can you not use that with anybody else? I'm not, I'm I not even sure they were, they're going to prove with that. I think they were conscious that you know we, we talk about how ratings are affecting their decision making. I think they were conscious that you know they wanted to make a big deal out of Shamrock early, and in that sense they didn't. It's not like they opened the show and said we've got a a major guy coming in. I think Vince teased that to a point, but it's not like they made a huge deal out of it. Um, but I think the idea was they wanted him involved in multiple segments because it was a two-hour show. And this is, you know, and also the the context of all of this is that half of the WF crew were in Europe, so they didn't have a lot of guys. So the ECW crew was there, um, and I think they just thought, shit, we need to show up for multiple segments, which was a mistake. Um, but that's why they did it. But yeah, you're right. I I would have I would have just filled in the three or four minutes worth of stuff with slightly longer matches and then done a better job presenting Shamrock in one signal segment down the stretch in the show. Just go all out and say that they've signed him. Don't play him as a celebrity. Say that they've signed him. This took place in New York in front of a very smart crowd. WWF's latest acquisition, UFC star Ken Shamrock. Go the whole hog with it. Don't don't be taken over by professional wrestling's inferiority complex that it suffers from so often. Make a big deal of it. Make this guy seem important because I know you say he's a big name, Bob, and I've no doubt he is. Not everybody. I'll be honest. I hadn't really heard of him before before today. Make make me really care about this guy. They have an opportunity to do it. Craig, your thoughts on any of the way they presented Ken Shamrock? 
yeah, it was it was pretty terrible. I'm sure having to sit through a Savio Vega match made him scramble to try and find a release clause in his contract. But I don't know. Put, if I was getting paid a million dollars a year, I could probably watch Savio Vega a few times a month. I could probably handle that. Two, maybe. Right. <laughs> is, is that a hint at what we're getting from this uh, from your uh, patron deal? I see. It's... Yeah, not quite. <laughs> Yeah, I think Bob's points are absolutely right. There, there aren't many sort of stars floating around. Uh, one million for a guy that can not only has a name but can actually work in the ring is, is, is a bonus rather than sort of spending that money on a celebrity that can only do an appearance. But I think Rory's point's absolutely right as well. The, the, just the way that they've... Uh, they've, they've they introduced them just bizarre. They should have just done the whole sort of. I'm not saying a sort of way that WCW paraded Hogan when they signed them, but they should have done like a press conference because you you'd have got sort of uh, cross promotional publicity out of it. So yeah, they did seem a sort of opportunity missed. Real waste, I hope, uh, in the interim weeks if it is going to be involved in the Brett Austin match, which I think is a good way of debuting him if it is going to be a submission match. He could be in there too. Well, we talk about getting a finish with Brett and Austin, it would probably make sense that Shamrock's involved, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I'm pretty certain, God, God knows how, but I'm, I would. He's going to be getting actually involved in the match somehow. I don't think he's going to be a, a, just a bystander referee, like I don't know. The Pat Patterson at WrestleMania 11 or something. But then, having said that, maybe if it is going to be a really heavy submission based match, he could be in there directing traffic a little bit as well. There are a lot of ways you could go with this. I think it's a sensible place to debut him, especially if you are going to have him being on the full time roster. He can develop a beef with one of the two guys, and you can build a feud on some of the forthcoming B pay per views that way. So they're going about it, definitely going about it the right way in that respect, but they just debuted him incorrectly. It's a big investment. It's yet another guaranteed contract. It's a million dollars a year for three years. Uh, he isn't Mark Henry. And I also hope, Bob, that he isn't Paul Barrowlands either. We don't need another one of those, do we? Oh, God. <laughs> Once was enough. There's a uh, lot of ECW on this show. I don't want that bit on it. <laughs> uh, Mr. Paul Barrowlands with his ECW Extreme. We will just finish up with what we thought about this ECW sort of kind of invasion took place on the 24th of February. Just to fill in the gaps, on the 17th of February, Jerry Lawler saw a fan with uh, some ECW signs at the clip plant saying how much he hated ECW. He thought, if they're so good, if they're still so great, I'm going to invite them to Raw the next week. And a bit later in the show, an ECW representative, as they hilariously trailed him, Paul Heyman is his name, I think, uh, said on the phone that he accepted the invitation. And then they showed up on the February 24th Raw on the uh, final Raw of the month. And Craig, it never really caught fire, did it? We had a few ECW-style matches. We've got the likes of Stevie Richards against... No, we, we had a few ECW matches. We didn't have any ECW-style matches. No, no, not, well, not really. You've got... Well, you took Tommy Dreamer used a bit of plunder early on. But, but that's, that's kind of the point I'm making, really, Craig. That's, we saw ECW guys in action... There was just them really in action on nationwide television to promote their pay-per-view, which is, which is fine for them. They probably needed a bit of that publicity. But did this really help the WWF at all? I'm not sure it did. I can't really see how it would, because if you're a ECW hardcore fan, uh, it's largely because it's the exact opposite of what the type of wrestling you see in the WWF and on WCW. 
So whilst you might tune in to see the raw that the guys are on uh, and see their matches, I don't think anything else on the show really would have convinced you that WWF changed enough to enough of a degree for you to sort of buy back into that product. So yeah, I mean, ECW must be sort of rubbing their hands in glee and up what they get out of it and I, I think it might sort of just be a sort of desperation attempt from the WWF albeit quite a, a sort of it's not, I, I can't envisage that, uh, that they blew much if any money at all on uh, doing this but a, a desperate attempt to try and get new viewers but I can't really see it yielding any results for the WWF at all but ECW must be absolutely delighted with the sort of mainstream exposure for uh, for their barely legal pay-per-view in April Vince portrayed ECW as the baby faces in this as well, which I found really, really strange. Is yeah. He was admitting on air that they've got a better product than us. Well, yeah, but that was never <sighs> going to hang any other way in the Manhattan Center, was it? I mean, that was a very pro-ECW crowd. There was oh, like, God, almighty, yes, it was. Half a dozen BWO shirts in a crowd of about six, 700 people. But the people watching weren't necessarily in that particular boat, though, were they, Bob? You're absolutely no. right for the people in attendance. I agree 100% there. But for a lot of people watching who sit down to watch a WF show every week, you've got the, the main commentary guy, who now more people know is the guy who pulls the strings behind the scenes. And he's kind of subtly knocking his own product against a product which very few people watching would even have heard of. What do you think? The whole thing was really strange. I mean, I understand... The logistics of why they did it in the instance, because they, a lot of the guys were in Europe and they had a two-hour show to fill and all of that, fine. Um, but you kind of got to the end of it and went, what did they have gained from this other than a bit of filler on a show? I mean, there's, there's ways of filling a two-hour show in a way that, you know, isn't half as interesting as this, sure. Um, but, like, giving a... Uh, however small, giving a rival wrestling promotion your platform to promote their show that is available on a lot of pay-per-view providers in a lot of markets is a very, very strange thing to do. Unless there's a bigger angle here, I don't know what there is. I mean, unless they've said, okay, we'll give you this, but in return, you know, I mean, I, I kind of thought, and I know I own a bulldog up there, but I kind of thought, if you want to make a big splash with this, you're going to have a big angle. Have, do, have the Eliminators beat Owen and Bulldog for the tag titles. That would have made sense to me, in part because I feel like WWF should be signing the Eliminators as soon as they can, because they need talent on a two-hour show, and they're the best tag team in North America right now. To me, that seems like a no-brainer. So if there was a kind of deal in place that said, all right, we'll let you come on, but in return, once the barely legal shows finished we want the eliminators and we want a couple of other guys that you've got under quote-unquote contract fine that would have made some kind of sense and, and that may have happened in some way shape or form we don't know but the show was you know the eliminators come out and total elimination on the stage hand fine and the blue world all the come out and you're like what the fuck is this is like this is such a like mind fuck like the Blue Wild Order were on national television up against the NWO. Who would have thought that four or five months ago or, or in fact three or four months ago when the angle started? Um and then because Vince Vince has got no idea who any of these guys are. I'm calling him Stevie Ray, uh which I thought was brilliant <laughs> oh, as well. Um and then yeah, just the 
the, the, the stuff goes forward. I thought the Lawler and Heyman stuff was really good. I mean, a lot of that was a shoot. There was a story in the, one of the Talk to the Observer that said that apparently they had a chat with Heyman before the start of the show, or the day before, just to, a few days before, just to iron out exactly what Heyman could say about Lawler, because there's a lot of genuine kind of hatred there and uh, um, kind of, you know, angst there, anxiety between the two of those guys. A lot does not like ECW. That's a shoot. Um, and so, yeah, but it came across really, really well on air. Um, but yeah, I, I, <laughs> I could probably go on this for a while. I'll finish by saying I'm a bit disappointed Shane Douglas didn't turn up. That would be my, that was my only disappointment was that Douglas didn't turn up and just say anything. That could have been brilliant. But yeah, other than that, just, like, just weird things. There's a match going on and Raven just walks out in the aisleway. What the? What, you know, it's Johnny Polo on Raw in 1997. Like, I, I, you know, who knows? So many things, so many thoughts, so many questions, not many answers. Um, yeah, the whole thing was a bit weird, and I got to the end of it, and I, if I'm WF, I kind of went, what did we do that for? They need to try to follow this up now, because I think a lot of people, a lot of the casual viewers will, I don't even think they'll, they'll forgotten about this, they'll think, oh, do you remember a couple of days ago we were watching War, and that other company turned up? They, they, they seem quite interesting, but WWF seem to quite like them. Um, should, should we pay attention to them now? Well, WWF are going to go back and talk about them again in the future. If this is just a one-and-done, just to promote ECW's pay-per-view, then it helps ECW and ECW alone. I get the impression that Vince is trying to, behind the scenes, and they're kind of suggesting this out, out, outside as well, on commentary, that he's trying to form some sort of, at least, loose alliance with ECW against WCW. I don't think that's going to work. I don't think ECW have got the legitimate strength in numbers to help them that much. What's even proper ECW? Like, New Jack didn't do anything stupid. We didn't get a Bill Alfonso promo. And Shane Douglas didn't turn up and shoot on Ric Flair. It wasn't anywhere near an <laughs> ECW show. That's what it was missing. It was like, is it ECW, like if you're watching ECW, if you're watching that for the first time, you're like... What's all the fucking fuss about? Because it, that's the thing, it wasn't, wasn't like ECW in any way. It was just random matches between ECW guys that involved a bit of weaponry and a bit of craziness. Sabine throwing himself off the set, we had Sandman coming out and being Sandman, that kind of stuff. It works in that regard, but it wasn't really ECW. It wasn't a great showcase for ECW, it was just a good platform. And that's why it should have been more of an invasion. It should have been ECW showing up and laying waste to a few people. I mean, I... We see the Eliminators, you mentioned it, Bob, the Eliminators just giving Total Elimination to some random stagehand. Well, that doesn't prove anything. Have they given Total Elimination to, say, Owen and Bulldog? Yeah, now that makes a statement. Have them do that. There needed to be some proper interaction between the two guys to make WWF seem like a big deal in this, rather than just them sitting back, oh, OK, let us little promotion, just take us over, do what they want for a couple of hours, give themselves a 70 80% uh, version of their own product. Oh, it's not as if we've got our own pay-per-view, the biggest one of the year, coming up in a few weeks anyway. Just let it happen. We can do that. WWF can't afford to be this cavalier about things. They've got to start taking their own situation a lot more seriously. Vince, so you, you think Vince now would realise he is far, far, far from the only game in town. He's been in the ratings every week for the last eight months. Yet he still thinks he can just carny it up every week and everyone's just going to just love the WWF again. That's not going to happen. You need to start... Focusing your attention on one company and one company only. If you think that ECW can in some way assist that, then okay, fair enough. But I say I just don't think ECW are big enough. They could maybe help 
impinge on the WWF's in-ring style, which I think is happening a little bit, CFR pay-per-view main event, but I still don't think they're going to get much traction out of that. It's like we said when they were talking about that god-awful idea of weekly pay-per-views a few months ago. Vince, for goodness sake, if you're listening and I know you're out there, realise who your real enemy is and start fighting back on them now, because otherwise... These little showcases, they're going to look even more stupid than they already do. You made yourself look like the third company out of three, and that is not good, my friend. Anyway, I trust the WWF to sort that out because it's WrestleMania next month. So I would like to thank my two guests for helping see us into what we must call WrestleMania season. Craig Wilson, thank you very much indeed, Craig. It was a joy. It most certainly was. You can be found on the Twitters, and you have your own project to plug, so go right ahead. The floor is yours. Thanks very much uh, for a, a promo. Yep, you can sort of find my musings on the world of wrestling from a sort of retro standpoint at ringthedambell.wordpress.com and you can find all the social media there as well. Bob, you can be found on the Twitters. Yes, at Bobby Bamba. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Patreon as well. It's the other thing to plug uh, for five bucks a month. Uh, if you'd like to say thank you, you got to this stage in the show, you've done very very well because this isn't exactly the you know there's not exactly a lot on this show in some regards you look at a, a flat in your house but yeah you'd like to say thank you for us contributing to your podcasting month for five bucks a month we're offering early access to shows like this um and yeah just other than that you can find out more information on patreon.com 20rs on our website and in the podcast description below Thank you for plugging the website, Bob, because I always screw the URL up, so I'm glad you got that one in. <laughs> well, well, I didn't, so I plugged the patron site, but not our own, uh, so I'll, I'll, let, I'll, let you, I'll let you screw that up or not. No, I'm going to go to you to do the website, Bob. Okay, the website is wrestling20yrs.com. I was going to say that, honest. <laughs> I don't know why I always mess that one up so much, but there you go. I still, I think it's because I'm so, I, I get so into time machine mode when we're doing this. Websites for me, I'm still very much 1997 about, really. Let it be wrestling.com 20YRS, as Tony Schiavone said. (laughs) Oh, that was fantastic. WCW.wrestling.com, I think, was the... uh, the (laughs) Poor Blighter. I think Tony Schiavone's still actually in that state now. I read his his, uh, Reddit interview a couple of days ago. I still think he's stuck there. Anyway, don't mind me talking about Tony Schiavone. You want to know who I am? I'm still Rory McNamara. You can find me on Twitter. At RawsDM, R-O-R-S-D-M, when I can be bothered to go on there these days. Uh, thank you, everybody, very much for listening. If you liked what you heard, if you didn't like what you heard, then please leave a review on iTunes, if that's where you listen to us. There are a few reviews up there. Some of them have, uh, we'll call them mixed, but we, we, we can take that. I'm really, inter- really interested, if you got this far in the show, the things you really do like and the things you would perhaps like to see us do more of, things you would like to see us do less of. They all get read, they all get taken on board. So please, 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 buy iTunes, leave us a review. I, I thought that, you know, I, I don't want to get, say what you like on iTunes, but I thought the criticism that none of us had ever been in the ring was a bit of an odd one. It was. Uh, I was very tempted to go on there and say, uh, interesting criticism, but you've never presented a wrestling podcast, so you, you <laughs> so nice try, but not, not for me, you know. But yeah, seriously, say what you like, I don't mind, you know, we, we do the show regardless, like, you know, you know I, I know enough people have tried it and don't like it to not be offended when people say they don't, it's fine, but it, yeah, that was a bit weird. What was he expecting? Did he think, what was he expecting? I don't know. We, 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 we're not wrestlers as far as I know, not, not yet, anyway, although Bob, you put yourself forward for the WrestleMania event. I could do it. I could do a job against Sid. 
<laughs> yeah, I bet you would do a job against it at all. Eight, well, that's true. <laughs> anyway, fantasy booking it is very fine as this. Anyway, just to wrap up where we are with our four volumes of Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast this month. Uh, our WCW is volume one, where we're looking at Super Bowl. ECW is our volume three, where Cyberstam is the main focus. And UFC 12 is our volume four. But we have been volume two, looking at WWF in February 1997. I have been Rory McNamara, and from me and my two guests, Bob and Craig, until next time, goodbye.